get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Character and Smallman podcast powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. It is 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Hope you had a good weekend. Michelle, how was yours? Randy, I got to go to the U.S. Women's Gymnastic Trials last night uh, where they had their final round, and it was exhilarating. St. Louis, obviously, always steps up when big events come to town and last night was no exception. So proud of our city and the way they were able to execute such a great event. But to see those women live in action and see what their bodies are capable of, it was stunning. It was so thrilling and congratulations to all the athletes that became Olympians last night and I cannot wait to watch them in Tokyo. And Simone Biles is the goat for all of the great gymnasts that America has developed over the years. She's just in a different league because of her athleticism and because of what she does that are things that nobody else has ever done before. She had a, a couple minor mishaps on, I believe, every event, or not, maybe not the vault, but almost every event mm-hmm. that she did last night, whether she stepped out, out of bounds or when she fell off the beam. And her level of difficulty that she's competing at is so much higher than everyone else's that she still ran away with the with the overall total. She's unbelievable. She's Almost like Michael Phelps in that she is a given to win gold medals in Tokyo next month. Oh, yeah. She's truly in a class of her own. Yeah. Absolutely. That was awesome. It was a great event, and you're uh, 100% on. St. Louis just does it right, don't we, in sports, whether it's the PGA Championship or whether it is Cardinal Baseball or whether it's the Stanley Cup or the NHL All-Star Game. St. Louis just does it right. This, the crowd last night, 20,815. It broke the attendance record for one session at a U.S. Olympic, Olympic gymnastic trials event. So just no show, shows you how much St. Louis loves sports. Meanwhile, the Cardinals, uh, Michelle, I don't know if you saw this, but the Pirates acquired Jacob deGrom, apparently, from the Mets. Oh, I, I'm aware, Randy, because unhittable Pirates pitching over the weekend. <laughs> Max Kranich, five perfect <laughs> innings against the Cardinals. He changed his name, too, deGrom did. The Pirates had six score, uh, six perfect innings against the Cardinals before Dylan Carlson doubled the lead off the seventh, and the Cardinals lost again. They lose three or four to the Pirates, falling yesterday seven to two, and it was bad from the very first pitch of the game for Johan Oviedo. Now, having a pitcher come in who hadn't pitched above high A levels of the minors until this season and the Cardinals not being familiar with that pitcher. That's something that we know the Cardinals have struggled with in the past. If the Cardinals weren't in this incredible, incredible slump right now, losing a game like yesterday to a team like the Pirates, you could say, yeah, that's a trend that we've seen persist with the Cardinals. Sometimes when a new pitcher comes up, they struggle with them. But 
every pitcher that has faced the Cardinals has looked like Jacob DeGrom. <laughs> it's been unbelievable. And Mike Schilt now has seen his team play six games against two of the dregs of Major League Baseball. They lose two to the Tigers, and they lose three of four to the Pirates. And yesterday, he still has to do his postgame press conference. Where you go from here, is this as low as it's is this going to be? I certainly hope so, Kamish. You know, I certainly hope so. Like, I, I am really optimistic about where our offense is headed. I'm really optimistic where that group's going. I, you know, look, we had a fringy error given us the extra day, and we played super clean baseball. And defensively, you know, we've been available to take our opportunities when they're there on the bases. A lot of those things are way above league average. You know, we just, um, you know, we got to be able to hold people at bay to give us a chance. Michelle, it was this, almost this date. It was last week. It was June 24th of 1986 when Jack Clark got hurt for the Cardinals and was deemed out for the season. And I, I think it was like the 26th. So it was probably about this date in 1986 where Whitey Herzog, the uber honest Whitey Herzog, said to the media, boys, it's just not going to happen this year. And I appreciate that. I appreciate more than being optimistic about a team that's ravaged by injuries that may not have been that good before the injuries hit. And I can take it if, if they aren't going to be good. You know, look at your team. Tell me. I can take it rather than saying, yeah, I'm really optimistic about where we're going. They aren't going anywhere. Just deal with it and be honest like a fan. And there's many teams who know that they're in the middle of a rebuilding process or they're in the middle of a bad season, and they somehow muster the competitive energy to go out there every day and give them their best. But whether Mike Schilt says to the media or says to his team, it's just not going to happen this season. He doesn't need to say it at this point. No, we know. We are all intelligent enough that we can realize that they are in a stretch that I I do think that this is rock bottom because if you're losing to the Tigers and the Pirates, I don't really care how many p- people on your team are injured. You should be better than them. You should be better than those teams. Yep. And I think it will at some point go up from here. It has to go up from here. Please let it go up from here. But I just don't know if this is going to be something that they're going to be able to overcome to get in a good position. It's just it's it's almost like I'm at a loss for words. It has gone so far down so quickly. Well, you only have one starting pitcher and that hurts when Adam Wainwright is your only starting pitcher and the Cardinals are turning to Wade LeBlanc tonight. And then they're going to have to turn back to Carlos Martinez tomorrow and back to KK on Wednesday. And then you'll see, unfortunately, Johan Oviedo again, who I think they're on the verge of breaking. And they don't have anybody to bring up. But this is a guy with really good stuff. He's only 23. He's barely pitched in AAA baseball. And the Cardinals are in a position now where they feel like they have to start him. But... Now he started 17 major league games without a win. I wonder when that starts weighing on him mentally. I think it probably already has. I would imagine weeks ago it started weighing on him. But when one aspect of your team is suffering, that's when other aspects are supposed to carry the baton. And when right. you when you have three hits, you you can't help them out. And I don't really have any excuses for the offense. This, they should be better, period, end of story. Yeah, and... 
there have been a lot of discussions. And over the weekend, Mike Schilt said, look, I'm not going to scapegoat Jeff Albert and the philosophy. At some point, the philosophy, because not only did Kranich pitch great yesterday, let me go back. I, in five innings, he only had to throw, was it 50 pitches? Let me get, make sure that I have this correct. Kranich, uh, five uh, uh, innings, and he threw 50 pitches. That's not that's not a very good approach for no. uh, any baseball team. To, to see an average of 10 pitches an inning from any pitcher, I don't care if it's a rookie, I don't care if it's DeGrom, I don't care who it is, to see only 10 pitches an inning is inexcusable. Adam Wainwright's goal is to throw 12 or 13 an inning. And this kid, Kranich, was averaging 10 an inning. Incredible. Um, and it's happening almost every night. And if Adam Wainwright was not on this team, Randy, if he had decided to go elsewhere prior to this season, imagine where imagine where the Cardinals would be. And that's, I think, something that bothers me, too, is you still have yeah, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina on this team. I would think that the sense of urgency to turn things around and you acquired Nolan Arenado, who's still mm-hmm. playing. He is not injured. Paul Goldschmidt, the Paul Goldschmidt window is still open. I would think weeks ago when things started to trend down where we would have seen a little bit more frustration publicly, a little bit more of a sense of urgency because, yes, you're banged up from a pitching perspective. Yes, Harrison Bader is not there, which changes the look of your of your outfield and alters the look of your team a little bit. But come on, there's still a lot of things here that should be clicking that aren't. Yeah, it's... It's it's a shockingly bad baseball team offensively because Arenado, Goldie, Yadi has kind of regressed to the mean, unfortunately. Paul DeYoung appears to have found something over the weekend, but you've got better talent than the players are displaying. So then you have to start asking, well, then what's the problem? Yeah. And my first question would be, it doesn't seem like the approach is working. No. I know we don't want to, Mike Schultz doesn't want to scapegoat anyone, but also his his performance is judged on whether or not they win or yep. lose. And if your approach is causing you to lose baseball games, then maybe you should take a second look at it. And maybe you should, and I'm sure that they are, trust me, I'm sure that they are. And I know that he doesn't have autonomy to make these decisions, but some something has got to change. Right. And the Cardinals right now, eight games behind Milwaukee. First place, Milwaukee, seven games ahead of Pittsburgh. The Cardinals are closer to last place than first in the National League Central. The Stanley Cup final starts tonight. The Lightning advanced with a one nothing win over the Islanders. So the Lightning will play the Canadians in game one tonight, 7 o'clock on NBC Sports Network. And in the NBA playoffs, the Bucks knocked off the Hawks 113-102 last night. Milwaukee leads that series two games to one. And the Suns are on the verge of eliminating the Clippers and advancing to the finals for the first time since 1993. Suns will play game four or game five tonight at eight o'clock. And that game can be seen on ESPN. I want to go back to the NHL playoffs for Mm -hmm. just a second, Randy. I still cannot believe that here's someone in Pat Maroon that in 2019 almost was not with the team. His NHL career was almost over. We didn't know if he was going to make it to his own bobblehead night at Enterprise Center. And he becomes a hometown hero, baby, wins the Stanley Cup in his hometown, leaves, wins another one, and here he is on the precipice of winning three Stanley Cups in a row. The three-peat is there for the taking for Pat Maroon. What an unbelievable story. And he, you talk often about what he brings, because it's, it's not physical. He plays eight or nine minutes a game. He's a fourth-line guy. 
but he brings sandpaper. He brings a personality within the room that's really valuable, especially in a sport like that. It absolutely is, and I couldn't be more thrilled for him, and I think St. Louis is going to be a lightning town for the next few weeks. Yeah. Week and a half, maybe. No doubt about it. It's it's not surprising that his attitude has lifted a couple of franchises. There you have it. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Start one, bench one, cut one here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, start one, bench one, cut one. And Michelle, obviously, we're talking Cardinal baseball here in St. Louis this morning. So I'm going to allow you to start one, cut one, bench one. The Cardinal offense, the Cardinal starting pitching, and the Cardinal managerial and coaching staff. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) I'm having a bit of a chicken or the eggs scenario here. I am going to start the Cardinals starting pitching because you're in a tough spot when you have so many injuries. Mm -hmm. And yes, certain pitchers who are going out there who are not injured should be better. But I still think that as a whole, I'm the least mad at the starting pitching group. Okay. okay? So we're going to start them. And... uh, Can I just cut cut both of the other two. You can. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to bench. See, because th- this is the question, right? Is it the approach that is not working or is the talent not there? And I re- actually, I'm benching the offense, Randy. And by, this is all the coaching. This is pitching. This is right. uh, field. This is all the coaching. I, un- I understand. So. But I refuse to believe that Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, the entire offense as a whole has struggled. And I refuse to believe that this is, I know it's a summer space jam, Randy, but I refuse mm-hmm. to believe that aliens came down and sucked all the talent out of the Cardinals <laughs> offense last month. And that's where we are. I, I don't know if they need to do what, you know, Muggsy and the crew did and go and get the tests run, but I refuse to believe that that's what, what's happened. And so I'm going to bench the offense. And as much as I love the members of the coaching staff on a personal level, it, I, I'm going to cut them. Okay. What about you? Good. I am actually, I, I have, as we sit here on June 28th, I have more faith because I've seen it before in this group of hitters being good. So I'm actually going to start the offense because of what you said, uh, because I, I have hope for the future. I'm going to bench the starting pitching and then that just leaves the coaching. So uh, that's what I'm, what I'm going to cut. Okay, Randy, positive. Let's let's okay. Sunshine let's, let's bring this up a little bit. Like we're going to talk to Isaac Bruce today. Mm-hmm. We love Isaac Bruce. Let's think about teams that were great and the greatest show on turf. It's always a good day. Even when the Cardinals are in a terrible spot, it's always a good day when you can talk to Isaac Bruce. So start one, bench one, bench one cut one from the greatest show on turf. Mm. Kurt, Isaac, or Marshall? Okay. Uh, I hate doing this. I know. It's very tough. But I am going to start 
Marshall because they didn't have a backup for him. I'm going to bench Kurt because they, once Green was hurt, they didn't have a backup for him. And in addition to Isaac, you had Tory and Ricky Prohl and Azakim and other right. people who could catch passes. So Marshall was indispensable. They were all indispensable, but I'm going to start Marshall, bench Kurt, and then uh, cut Isaac. Hate doing that. Hate doing it. But it just happened. But you're right. There were other options on yeah. the field. Yep. But none as dynamic as Isaac Bruce. No. And Marshall was the guy. And if it wasn't Kurt, you would hope that they could have found somebody just to throw short passes to get it, the ball into the hands of all those playmakers. Wow, what a choice. Thank you. It's Sophie's choice right there. And imagine if I threw Orlando in the mix. Yeah, then. I almost threw Orlando in there instead of Isaac, but we're talking to Isaac, so he was kind of the segue into the start one, bench one, cut one. It's amazing that when you talk to all of the players, and we can ask Isaac about it, but Kurt, Marshall, they all say the fulcrum, the centerpiece, the key to the greatest show on turf was Orlando Pace. It's amazing. All right, Emily Butcher is here and has your text for us. 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. Emily, what do you got? From the 573, start one, bench one, cut one, Jeff Albert, Mike Maddox, Mike Schilt. Okay. Uh, well, I think I'm, we can all agree on who we're going to cut. We're right? cutting Jeff Albert, he's, right? He's got. He's got. Yeah. And... I th- I think that I can find a guy who makes moves. I, it's not like Mike Maddox is he, he's coached in a couple of World Series, but I'm I'm not seeing the young pitchers on the Cardinals ascend. I'm seeing Wayne Wright. I'm seeing I guess Flaherty ascended. Um, I think I'm going to because I can. I am going to start Mike Maddox. I'm going to bench Mike Schilt, and I'm going to cut Jeff Albert. I'm going to do the same thing, and we both really like Mike Schilt, and I think he's a very, very smart baseball man, and I think he's a really strong manager. And it's always difficult for me because fans are furious right now. Mm -hmm. Fans want Mike Schilt to flip over tables. They want him to yell and scream and cuss. They want to see the version of him that Randy Rosarena showed us. They, we want to see that version of Mike Schultz in his post games, and it's always hard for me because I don't want to ask something of someone that's outside of their personality, mm-hmm. and I think it's disingenuous for him to act outside of his personality. He's always going to be positive. However, I am at the point in the post games where you know what's going to be said, and you know that it's going to be packaged in the most positive way possible, and I'm past the point of positivity. So... And maybe as soon as he leaves the Zooms, he goes back into the clubhouse and it's a different story. But for that reason right now, I'm just past past the positivity. So I'm going to have to bench Mike Schilt, even though I think he's a good manager. From the 618, Tommy Herr, Colton Wong, Tommy Edmond. Well, I'm starting Tommy Herr. That's easy for me. I will bench Colton Wong and I'll cut Tommy Edmond. Same, same. From the 217, John Madden, Dan Deerdorf, Tony Romo. Well, we have to start Dan Deerdorf, or at least I am. Well, and not just because he's our friend, but what people looked for was a combination of personality and fun plus analysis. And Dan is just a naturally funny guy, funnier than John Madden or Tony Romo. 
And he brought entertainment in addition to humor and great analysis Mm -hmm. to the table. So I'm with you. We're going to start, Dan. I'm actually, eh, that's a hard choice between Madden and Romo. But I think because of what Madden worked in a different era that benefited him. But I'm going to give him credit for it. He knew more about what was going on with teams than Tony Romo does because coaches told him. So I'm going to go with Madden to bench and Romo to cut. Once we have a video game that is named after Tony Romo, I think then he can move above John Madden Good in the play. rankings. But until now, John Madden is iconic. And the long the longevity there and the impact that he had on broadcasting and broad, broadcasters being a celebrity in so many mm-hmm. ways. I mean, he was in Little Giants, Randy, so yeah. I'm not going to cut John Madden. Um, and Tony Romo, as excellent as he is, I just think he's the greenest here. And think about this. For a long time, you would listen to it, an analyst, and they would try to sound like John Madden. Not just do the things that John Madden did, but they tried to sound like John Madden. Right. And not many analysts have that, where you set the tone for people that do the job. And like Marv Albert with basketball broadcasters, people just have tried to sound like Marv. And that's what they've done with Madden. Start one, bench one, cut one from the 573 4th of July edition. Fireworks, barbecue, cornhole. This is easy for me, Randy. Okay. I'm starting barbecue. Yep. Because what is a 4th of July celebration without a delicious meal Mm -hmm. and a barbecue? I'm going to bench cornhole, or as I like to call it, bags, because that elevates any 4th of July party that you're at. And fireworks, depending on where you are, if you're downtown St. Louis and there's the professional fireworks display, outstanding. If you're in someone's backyard and it's an amateur setup and some of them are going off and they pop maybe once and then the other two kind of fizzle out and they smoke into the lawn, I'm going to pass on the fireworks. So I'm going to cut the fireworks. Okay, because this is a 4th of July edition, I can have barbecue 365 days a year. The 4th of July fireworks, it's a celebration of our independence. So I'm going to start the fireworks. I'm going to bench the barbecue. Wow. And I have never played bags or cornhole on 4th of July. Not once in my life have I played it. So it's cut. Have you, You've played it, though, in your life. Yeah, but not on the 4th of July. What? What are you doing on the 4th of July? Barbecuing, eating, going to fireworks displays. Right. and Watching Cardinal Baseball. The barbecues that you've attended didn't have bags or cornhole? Barbecues always at my house, Michelle. Oh, and you don't have a bag set is what you're telling me. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, that just seems like availability. Yeah. So, uh, but even if it was available, I would still do it that way. From the 573, start one, bench one, cut one. Cardinals football, Hawks basketball, Rams football. Okay, Cardinals football starts. I really, uh, I don't even remember the Hawks being here. I was five when they left. Now, are we talking? Yeah. Oh, I was hoping that it meant battle Hawks, but because, yeah, why the Hawks? So Cardinals, oh, no, St. Louis Hawks basketball. I Is think. it Hawks basketball? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Hawks basketball. Yeah. So I'm going to uh, start the football Cardinals just because that was my childhood and I have fond memories of them. Not that I don't have fond memories of the Rams and their greatest show on turf era, but if you look at the big picture, it wasn't that great. No. More, pa- then, more pain than joy. Yeah. And then I will, uh, I will cut the St. Louis Hawks just because I don't remember them. 
I don't remember them either, nor do I remember Cardinals football. Mm-hmm. But I'm still going to start Cardinals football, bench Hawks basketball, and cut Rams football. Because of the way the Rams left, St. Louis, I think, has fonder memories from the football Cardinals than they do from the St. Louis Rams. I, I agree. And I was in grade school when the Rams won the Super Bowl. And, of course, I remember it. And I remember how special it was. And I remember it going on that magical ride. And I loved that team. But as I really grew into being a football fan and planning my weekends around it, the team was awful yeah, it was for bad. so long. And so my memories of the greatest show on turf were far eclipsed by the misery of Rams football. And then, of course, they left. So Yeah, 21 years here, and they had winning seasons in 99, 2000, 2001, and 2003. They had four winning seasons out of 21 here. Not great. No. And it was spectacular the way that they would lose. They would get the they would get high draft picks and they would mess up the draft. There would be games where they absolutely should have won and they would find a way to lose it. It was just it was like what we're experiencing with Cardinal baseball right now, yep. to be honest with you. It's it's shocking the way that, that things are going. <laughs> From the two one seven start one bench one cut one, a league of their own, Ooh. major league, Ooh. the sandlot. Ooh, what? Oh, my God. And you have to make a decision. Do you want to go? or do you Sure, I'll go. Okay, because I have mine, too. That's I am difficult. going to start Major League, with all due respect, Michelle, killing these smalls. <laughs> I am going to bench the Sandlot, and I am going to cut a very, very, very good movie in a league of their own. Wow. I am going to start the Sandlot. Because it's on the Mount Rushmore of great sports movies for me. The Sandlot defines my childhood in a lot of ways. I love The Sandlot. And there's so many great lines. The the overall storyline is great. And I think it it reminds us of what baseball should be. It should Mm -hmm. should be something that we love so much that we want to when we're kids play at night because of the fireworks lighting Mm -hmm. up the sky on 4th of July. And obviously, Smalls is in it, so it's starting. Uh, I'm going to bench A League of Their Own because there's no crying in baseball. What a great movie. Tom Hanks was exceptional in mm-hmm. A League of Their Own. And Madonna, Madonna was great all the way May. Um, <laughs> it had to be. I mean, it's a great movie. And I am I love Major League, but I'm giving it the cut. I'm sorry. I have to. Fair. Fair enough. I have to. Thanks, Emily. Do you want to weigh in on that one, by the way? Um. Oh, man. I, I would probably go the same as Michelle. Okay. Good enough. Tough. Hey, thanks for your text. We do appreciate it. Coming up, after the job St. Louis did with the U.S. Olympics gymnastics trials this weekend, what should we get next in St. Louis? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle mentioned this earlier. Last night at the Dome, the crowd of 20,815 broke the attendance record for one session at any U.S. Olympic gymnastics trials event. 
St. Louis has done a great job with Olympic sports over the years. The Olympic Festival back in 1994 set records for that. And anytime they have any sort of a championship, we set records. We obviously set records for the PGA Championship three years ago over at Belle Reve when Tiger Woods started his return to prominence. Well, not prominence, but to the, the top of the leaderboard, which he achieved at the Masters several months later. And, Michelle, I know that uh, the St. Louis Sports Commission is bidding for the swimming championships down the road. We do sports so well, and we don't have an NFL team, but we have a facility. It seems to me that if I were an Olympic event, if I were swimming, if I were gymnastics, if, if I were looking at any sort of a trials situation, I would go to St. Louis because St. Louis does it right. Absolutely. We have the track record to prove it. The resume is there, Randy. You mentioned, uh, you know, the the PGA last night's gymnastics event. How about the Winter Classic when Mm -hmm. that came to St. Louis? It was great. If I was the NCAA, I would want to put a Final Four and a National Championship back in St. Louis as well. It it just seems like any big event that happens here, St. Louis downtown has the stadiums, they have have the facilities, there's enough hotels, but it, it just seems like in addition to the people coming in from out town for the event. So many St. Louisans want tickets to this. So mm-hmm. any event that you have, it's going to be packed, which automatically makes the event have that much more energy and excitement to it. One thing that I thought was cool last night, and I don't know what the crowd was like about around you, but you can weigh in here. People were exceptionally knowledgeable about the gymnasts, about all 16 that were performing last night and about everything that was going on around them. Absolutely. So uh, where I was sitting, the people around us, they knew what was going to be done before it was done, because obviously these women have to submit what they're going to be Mm -hmm. doing to rank the difficulty of the event. And then they're judged on the execution. But. People had done their homework, and they knew what to expect from Simone Biles. They knew that she was doing something that was extraordinary, and especially on her floor routine, that she was doing something that no one else in the world was doing, not even the men. And it's it's something that we take a lot of pride in, not not only making sure that the event is executed really well. I love, by the way, as I'm watching clips this morning on the Today Show of, of Hoda Kotb live from outside the Dome, any clip that's shown from last night they they made sure to have the arch in the background right. um they put the arch out there when they announced the the uh olympians from last night which i thought was great because anyone who's watching that last night or anyone who's watching who's being announced they know it's in st louis they know that st louis is the crowd that's there that's cheering them on so i thought that was a great touch a great signature touch for st louis but it just seems like we take so much pride in every aspect of this, whether it's the execution, whether it's making sure that we as St. Louis and show up to the the event. I know that when people from out of town are there, we were talking to some people as we were walking in and they were asking us where to go to dinner. And mm-hmm. people from St. Louis want to make sure that people that come in from out of town are going to have a great experience. And then, as you mentioned, we show up knowing who to cheer for and, and whether it's the PGA Championship. Everybody that I was around when, when we were standing there in 18 knew every golfer that was yep. coming by and knew little anecdotes about them and, and were cheering them on and were very respectful. So if, if I was any event that was looking for a home or a great place to, to execute it, St. Louis is at the top of the list. And the other part of this is how it can affect the economy. And we see it. If we go down to the ballpark during the summer and see all of the out-of-town license plates, the out-of-town license plates that we saw last night over at the Dome. And when you bring in NCAA championships, and it doesn't have to just be basketball, it can be the wrestling that comes in on a relatively regular basis or the Frozen Four, 
The St. Louis Sports Commission is bringing in the Youth Soccer Midwest Regional Championships. Uh, actually, they're in town right now over at Creevecourt Park in the Lufus Athletic Soccer Complex. Think of all of the families that are bringing their kids to participate in this uh, youth championship. Those are the sorts of things that you can generate revenue from sports with. And the Sports Commission does a great job, and we are... With all due respect to Indianapolis, I think they might be tied for first. We're the best sports hosts in America. You said Indy, which brought something to my mind, is not going to happen. But I always thought that St. Louis would be a sneaky great place to host a Super Bowl. And it's we don't have an NFL team, so it's not Mm. going to happen. Um, And they're trending towards warm weather, weather cities all the time now anyway, because after Minnesota... Every, all the media just complains yeah. about how cold it is and they don't want to deal with it. <laughs> but when we went to Indy for the Super Bowl, they did a great job and people raved about how well Indy hosted the Super Bowl and how everything was walkable. It was all kind of compact in that downtown area. And they talked about how nice everyone in Indianapolis was and what the hospitality was like. And St. Louis, I think, obviously, has that and then some. So I always thought St. Louis would be a surprisingly great place to host a Super Bowl, but we'll never know. No. Some of the things that are coming up, by the way, uh, later this year, you've got the NCAA Division Three Women's Volleyball Championship. You've got uh, the ACHA National Championships coming up at the Centene Community Ice Center on March 10th to 20th of 2022. That's a big deal. You've got women's lacrosse. You've got Division Two wrestling. You've got the Division One wrestling again. You've got uh, women's golf out at Fox Run, by the way, nice. in May of 2023. You've got the Division One men's ice hockey regional in 2024. So a lot of cool things are still coming your way, including the 2025 Frozen Four at Enterprise Center and just more opportunities for St. Louis to show themselves like we did last night. So congratulations to the Sports Commission, everybody who was there hosting us at the Dome and all the fans that showed up because we did a great job. So uh, there's the thing that just popped up on my Twitter during the break. As I mentioned, I've a copy of the Today Show outside the Dome and it has closed captions on it, so I was reading it during the break. And she was talking about the crowd last night and the crowd doing the wave and the energy. And she said it was insane in there. It was absolutely insane in there. So congratulations to St. Louis on not only a great event, but you're getting a lot of great national pub this morning as well. Pretty cool. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got a little game of Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman, Emily is here, and we want your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for a game of Take It or Leave It. Michelle, this is a fun game I like to play every summer, especially when the Cardinals are really good or really bad. It's what happens if somebody goes 500. If the Brewers from right now until the end of the season play 500 ball, they go 42 and 42. They will finish with a record of 87 and 75. Okay. For the Cardinals to match 87 and 75, they would have to have 50 wins and 34 losses in their 84 remaining games. Take it or leave it. There's a chance in hell of the Cardinals winning the National League Central. I want to leave it so badly, but I also know that crazier things have happened and hopefully they get healthy. And I still think this division is so wonky, but I'm I'm going to leave it. (laughs) (laughs) With all that being said, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. It's different. 2010, you had Albert, right? 
or 2011, I mean, you, you had Albert. You had Chris Carpenter on that team. You had... Yeah, well, Can I throw one more in there? You yeah. had Tony La Russa. Yeah, to- you're right. right. Tony La Russa yep. is more intense than anyone else combined. Yep. Right. <laughs> Any other combo combined. Yeah. He and Dave Duncan. Yeah. So you just, you had a different vibe in 2011. I don't see this club going 50 and 34 in their remaining 84 games. I, I would be stunned if they did that. Although I was stunned in 2011. But that's only happened once in baseball history in 150 years. That's happened one time. True. And, Randy, the, the Blues were in last place in 2019. And that's they were in last place. Once in hockey. They, we've seen it happen, which is why I am a little reluctant to leave it because we have seen crazier things happen in our town. But I am leaving it. <laughs> Just so yeah. we're clear, I'm so leaving. No chance in hell. No. Um, Randy, remember a couple weeks ago when we said, what if the Cardinals during this stretch of very easy schedule go 11-2? and mm-hmm. What is the front office going to do after that? Is it fool's gold if they go 11-2 and <laughs> against these weaker opponents? Will Mo and, the, and Gersh make and the front office make a move before the deadline? How important are those six games versus the Giants and the Cubs to close out the first <laughs> half? That, those are fun conversations. Now we're looking at a sweep from Detroit. The, the Pirates take three of four. The Diamondbacks are coming in. Who knows what that, what's going to happen after that. But following that, you have four versus the Rockies at Colorado. Mm. Nolan Arenado escaped, I use air quotes, escaped a very bad situation in Colorado because he was sick of losing. Take it or leave it. The Rockies win that series. I am, at the moment, yes, I'm going to take that. And I wonder how he would feel after that. Now, listen, we know that things were, were very bad there with he and Jeff Breidich. He he wanted out. He definitely wanted out. And as he said over the weekend, he's, he's been through bad stretches before. Mm-hmm. This is this is not foreign to someone like Nolan Arnato. And I'm sure he's still thinking that long term he's in a better situation here in St. Louis than he was in Colorado. Short term, the, the Cardinals are six games ahead of the Rockies in the standings. Even short term, correct. But I have to think that when he's facing his former opponent, that he's thinking... I escaped them for this. <laughs> right. What's going on here? Where at least I was in a, a very hitters friendly ballpark and my, my numbers had a better chance. <laughs> Listen, again, I'm sure he doesn't regret it. But if if you go to Colorado and God forbid they sweep you. Whew. Yeah, that would be awful. That would be the worst. But it's not outside right. the realm of possibility it's certainly right now. Not. They just lost three or four to the Pirates at home. Jeez. So, yeah, it, it could happen. By the way, the Diamondbacks, as they come to town, at least they snapped their big league record 24-game road losing streak. They crushed San Diego on Saturday night. So at least the Cardinals won't suffer the ignominy. Ignominy? Ignominy? It, it would be an ignominious <laughs> situation if you were to be the team that saw that losing streak on the road end. Sure. But San Diego had to deal with it. And I think that won't Wayno uh, back to the Rockies quickly. I think he'll get a start during yeah. that series. So yeah, they so won't that, get swept. So at least one. they won't get swept. Yeah, there you go. Okay. All right, Emily, what do you got? From the 618, take it or leave it. Middleton is a more key player than Giannis. I'm going to leave that. Not that Middleton is not a key player. And so is Holiday. But no, the centerpiece of that team is... Giannis Middleton could still be there and they would battle for a playoff spot seventh or eighth in the wet in the east if Giannis isn't there 
Or if Giannis isn't there, they don't battle for that spot. I agree. They, they, let me straighten this out. Okay, if Giannis isn't there, they're a maybe a playoff team. If Middleton isn't there, they can still finish in the top four in the in the East. Yeah. So Giannis is the centerpiece. He's the key. Yeah. From the 314, take it or leave it. Lightning in six, and Pat Maroon scores at least two goals in the series. Leave it. Leave it Lightning in six, or leave it Pat Maroon scores two goals? Pat Maroon will not score two goals in the series. I will go Lightning in six, though. Agreed. I will go Lightning in six. I'll take I'll take the big rig getting one, maybe, yeah. but not two. Yeah, he just doesn't get enough ice time right. to score a bunch exactly. of goals. Exactly. And by the way, Montreal and Carey Price... They're not allowing many goals anyway. They're playing great defensively. From the 815, take it or leave it, Yachty catches a no-hitter before he retires. Leave it. Is he going to another team? <laughs> Hope not. Is that, is, is that this backwards take it or leave it that next season he's not with the Cardinals? Oh, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. That's kind of what I was thinking. Okay. I thought it was like a... A low-key shade deal towards the Cardinals. <laughs> oh, that might be. Hey, if the Orioles can do it, anything is possible. Yeah. That's how I see it. Yeah, that's true. But I don't think Wayno's going to give you enough innings. He could do it, though. Yeah, he's he's the only guy, though. By the way, tomorrow is the anniversary of two no-hitters on white. One night back in 1990, Fernando Valenzuela no hit the Cardinals and Dave Stewart of the A's no hit the Blue Jays. That was 1990, but tomorrow is the anniversary. By the way, today, Michelle, is the anniversary of Mike Tyson biting off of Vander Holyfield's ear. Oh. That happened in 1997. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Eerie. <laughs> Eerie. <laughs> that was bad. I'm sorry. I regretted that immediately. Uh, awesome. It was so well done. Close. <laughs> From the 314, take it or leave it, Alex Reyes is in the starting rotation by August. Leave it. I would love to see it because I want to see Alex Reyes as a starting pitcher. He has great stuff, and the Cardinals could certainly use an infusion of electricity, but I'm going to leave it. Why risk it? I was just going to say, they're not trying. I don't want to say they're not trying to win right now because they might have a different mindset. We don't know. But from where I sit, I certainly wouldn't risk it. I would be looking towards 2022 Mm -hmm. and wanting him to remain healthy and give it a shot then. And I also want to ease Jordan Hicks back as my closer. Exactly. And the Cardinals are still, because you have people like Wainwright and Yachty and Arenado and Goldschmidt, from a game-to-game basis, they still want to try to win. It's not like they're just going to quit trying to win because of where they are in the standings. From the 618, take it or leave it, DeAndre Ayton will be an all-star next season. Take it. Definitely take it. Yeah. He'll be great. You've got the MVP in the West, a center. But Aiton and uh, Jokic, I think both can be on an all-star team. So I'm going to go with that. Take it. From the 636, take it or leave it. You would trade White Sox coaching staffs right now. Then both fan bases would be happy. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it too, but I don't think the White Sox fan base would be happy with the Cardinals coaching staff. And not only because of this, the state of what's happening in St. Louis right now, I think that they wanted someone young and dynamic and flashy to match the personality of the team. So I don't necessarily think that 
Mike Schilt would be what they were looking for. The fan bases. Right. You know, they, their argument was that Tony LaRusso was old school. Well, Mike Schilt is old school in a lot of ways, too. Right. So point. I don't know if they necessarily would have thought that, that was a great hire. They want Ozzie Guillen back. Exactly. They want someone that's going to say something. Yeah. They want someone who's going to give them the quote or the headline. From the 636, take it or leave it, Arenado does not opt out at the season's end. Take it. Take it. Where would he go? Well, he's got a contract here that goes through 2026. The legit question, where would he go? And where would he go where he's going to have a better chance to win? If if he looks at the last 25 years, his best chances to win are in New York with the Yankees or in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the Yankees are going to spend their money on Nolan, a 30-year-old Nolan Arenado. I think he's not going to get more money than his contract calls for, which is $199 million through 2026. It, it would be crazy of him to opt out. What's he going to do, go back to the Rockies? I don't think so. I don't think so either. From the 636, take it or leave it, the Blues bring back either Maroon or Reeves next year. Leave it. Both have contracts, so I'm going to leave it as well. From the 314, take it or leave it, the Riz show could beat the Cardinals right now. I got to tell you, Randy, I was there at the home run derby Mm -hmm. versus the fast lane. And those guys have some pop. Moon came in in round one with 11 home runs. The first round, he wasn't even warm yet, and he got 11 home runs. So you're taking it? I might take it. Because I think they might walk into some some homers. They certainly can pitch with the Cardinals starting pitchers, except for Wainwright. So I'm going to take it, too. Yeah, why not? Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. So the question for the Cardinals is, where do we go from here? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce, set to join us in 11 minutes with Carriker and Smallman. The Cardinals lose again yesterday, 7-2 to the Pirates, so they lose 3 of 4 to the Buccos. And, Michelle, it doesn't seem like, and this might just be me because Mike Schilt says they are getting better, but it doesn't seem to me like things are getting better. I agree. From where I'm sitting, what I am watching, I don't see any ascension. I don't necessarily see anything that leads me to believe that this team is ready to break out, that they're right around the corner. You know, all they need to do is turn the corner and they're going to explode, especially offensively, which makes me want to go back to last week, Randy, because I was thinking about this. And what was our show all about on Friday? We were all talking about Tommy Edmonds comments that really opened a lot of eyes. A lot of people found those comments to be illuminating because Mm -hmm. Tommy Edmond shared that the team had had a meeting and that they they didn't think that they were necessarily prepared correctly and that the approach wasn't right. Actually, I think we have the cut. Let's just revisit what Tommy Edmond had to say on Thursday. By the way, this was following an 8-2 to two loss to the Pirates. This is what Tommy Edmond had to say. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a few parts to it. One of, the, one of the main parts is just kind of mid-game adjustments, knowing that if you if you don't necessarily have the at-bat that you want in the first, first time through the lineup, that there probably is going to be a good chance to uh, – 
to get a run scoring opportunity later on and just staying engaged and, and being aware of how the, how the team is pitching us and um, how the team is pitching each person individually. And kind of going along with that, a little bit of that is uh, preparation, the preparation that we talked about. I don't think we've necessarily done the greatest job of making a game plan for how guys are going to throw us us day by day and uh, working on things pregame that are specifically tailored uh, to prepare ourselves for that. So I think we're going to kind of start to implement a few more of those things into our pregame uh, routines, and uh, hopefully that helps us out. Michelle, I don't know what that means, but obviously it's harder to prepare against somebody making his major league debut like, Smack, like Max Cranick did yesterday. That being said, he only had to throw... 50 pitches in five innings. The day before that, JT Brubaker went six innings and threw 79. So the Cardinals are aggressive. They're kind of the, after Mike Schilt talked about how we have gotten away from OPS on base, they still aren't taking an awful lot of pitches Mm -hmm. and walking. Now, I like the fact that teams are swinging the bat, but you still have to find your pitch, and that's not happening for the Cardinals. No. And the only thing that's been consistent recently is that when Adam Wainwright gets the ball, you can pretty much guarantee the Cardinals mm-hmm. are going to get a win that day. So I'm even going to remove Saturday's game from the equation. But if if you're Michael Gersh or John Mosaic, let's take it even a step further. If you're Bill DeWitt and you're hearing, because we know he's a huge baseball fan, mm-hmm. this is an owner that pays attention. If you hear on Thursday night after your team was just swept by the Tigers and just lost to the Pirates 8-2, to that one of your players who does not pop off. This is not someone that says things to make headlines. This is a very measured and a very smart baseball player in Tommy Edmond that he doesn't necessarily believe that they have the right game plan, that the preparation isn't isn't what it should be, and that mid-game adjustments aren't being made. That's going to get your spidey senses going. Your antennas are going to go up. And then you go out after that, and you lose two or three to the Pirates, where you score nine runs total in three days. If it's If we're not going to because Mike Schultz said he's not going to throw Jeff Albert under the bus mm-hmm. or necessarily put all the blame on him. Okay, fine. If we're going to put some of the onus then on the players, and Tommy Edmond is publicly saying these things aren't up to par, you would hope that after a player says that publicly, that it would be enough to really inspire the team and whatever adjustments that they might make might have some sort of a spark and propel them to do something differently. And it doesn't seem like anything has really happened since then. And here's my question. If if Tommy Edmond talks about the pregame preparation, that's one thing. Players can take it upon themselves to go watch tape and prepare for a game. But when he talked about the in-game adjustments, who's going to help the players with that? Because players are concentrating on their job, whether it's playing the field or their own at-bats. You aren't going to ask, uh, who 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 do we have on the bench? Andrew Kisner. You aren't going to ask Andrew Kisner. Okay, what am I doing uh, in in the fourth inning? What happened in my last at bat? How'd they attack me? And what should I do now? That's that's the coach's job. So I can, on the payroll for that, right? So I can kind of understand why they only scored, like you said, three in the three losses or nine in the three losses, eleven in the wins. You just have to have people that the players trust and. When a player does come out and say that, any player, let alone Tommy Edmond, who's a young, like you mentioned, very intelligent player, I would have a level of concern about the player's faith in that coach's ability to do the job that the players think they need done. 
And one thing that I really admire about the Cardinals is that they are a very patient and measured team because I think in sports today, organizations are too quick to pull the plug on something. If a coach doesn't work out after two, three years, teams don't really give sometimes new regimes enough time to implement something and to to plant the seeds and then watch it grow. They want immediate results because fan bases demand immediate results. However, when you look at the sample size that we have of this Cardinals approach offensively, I think we have a good enough sample size to say that it's not working. And so if Tommy Edmond is saying, the preparation isn't necessarily what it needs to be. The mid-game adjustments aren't there. I'm kind of wondering why why the patience here? What is the reason that this Cardinals organization believes that they should continue to water this plant in hopes that it's going to bloom? And I look back even to Mike Matheny. I think a lot of fans felt that the Mike Matheny era went on a little too long. And it took something public, really, mm-hmm. in the uh, the Bud Norris-Jordan Hicks situation, right? It wasn't that yep, what happened. Exactly. It was it was a public conversation about something happen- happening internally that really caused that to end. And I just wonder if maybe sometimes the Cardinals are a little too patient. While I respect their patience, because I think it's so rare in sports, and, and patience is definitely required sometimes, I do wonder if they hit that point where, they should make a move and then they let it persist. One other question, and I guess it's possible, and this would be alarming too. Maybe they only have two good hitters. Maybe Arenado and Goldschmidt are their only two good hitters. But they're not really performing either. Well, Arenado's on pace for 30 and 100. So I, I think he's okay. We know he's good. We, we know, know, we know our, he's we good. Know our, Absolutely. And, and Goldschmidt has had a really good June. Tyler he, O'Neal. He does get better once it gets warmer, yeah. right? Tyler O'Neill's still a question mark. We don't know about Lars Nutbar. <laughs> DeYoung has it's been a long time since Paul DeYoung's been good, right? Edmund has regressed. Yachty is 38. And he, he since the beginning of the season, he's on to 250 now. Although he does have 31 RBIs. Could be that. This guy's coaching the daylights out of him, and they only have a couple of guys. Well, I I remember years ago, Boog Shambi was on the morning show, and he said the Cardinals need better dudes. They just need more talent. Mm -hmm. So it is the chicken or the egg. Is it the talent, or is it the approach? Which one is it? But what? And you know what, Randy? The truth probably lies a little bit in the middle. Yeah. I bet it's a little bit of both. And that's how we have arrived at this situation. It's an alarming situation. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, Isaac Bruce. Headed to the Hall of Fame in about a month. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. It is Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And you have an opportunity to join Isaac Bruce in Canton, Ohio. We're going to touch on this a couple of times here during this segment. Isaac is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And first of all, we want to wish you good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. Thanks for having me on the show again. We always love having you on. We always like talking to you, and we're excited about the fact that somebody can win a once-in-a-lifetime Hall of Fame experience with you by going to letsengage.com. Tell us about what people will get. Oh, it's a very special, man. Um, I think it's very sweet if you're a football fan in general. You know, I think uh, at least once in your lifetime, you got to take a trip to Canton, just see where football started. But 
the winner of this sweepstakes can win a round trip airfare for two, three night hotel stay, and it also includes two tickets to uh, my uh, sold out free enshrinement tailgate, two tickets for the 2020 class enshrinement, and it also you can also come to my private party afterwards. So it's going to be fun. Uh, you see a lot of people that I played with, teammates, family, friends, and uh, a lot of people in general. A lot of Hall of Famers going to be at everybody's party. So. It's one of those moments that I think is very special. And for $10, it can get you into sweepstakes for four opportunities to win. I just heard a bunch of people, Isaac, running to their phones so that they could enter that. Because for $10, what an experience that you could get. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Can. I actually read that the Hall of Fame sent you the jacket already and that you had a chance to try it on, the gold jacket. What was that like? Yeah. Uh, it was pretty pretty awesome experience. Um, you know, I'm I'm also supposed to send that jacket back. Just haven't uh, sent it back yet. But you know, just getting it, you know, trying it on, making sure it fits and everything, and uh, just just a dream come true. I mean, I've seen that jacket uh, on a lot of uh, my favorite players that I grew up watching. Uh, it's one of those iconic pieces in sports that um, you know only uh, fewer than 400 people have. So. Uh, just to have one enter my home and just to see it and share it with my family, my friends, uh, have some uh, exclusive pictures taken in it. But it was uh, it was it was really sweet, and I can't wait to show it to the world. Tell Randy and I about the pictures that you took because I imagine when that came in, I, there's probably hundreds of photos because you want to make sure that you get the exact shot that you want, right? Absolutely. My girls were the uh, photographers and uh, set up. <laughs> So, um, you know, we had an opportunity to just take pictures. Some of the some of the wild stuff I'll probably release, you know, after the induction. But it was all sweet just to have the jacket on itself and just just knowing what it means and and just uh, really think about all the people that, you know, were responsible for me uh, having an opportunity to wear a jacket like that. Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Isaac, here we are. In the we're heading into the 20th anniversary of training camp for that 2001 season. We celebrate 1999. You guys won the Super Bowl. How do you feel about that 2001 season? Oh man! <laughs> well, well, honestly, coming into camp, man, I think uh, our mindsets as a whole was uh, we were we, we were definitely the team to beat. I mean, when you just look at uh, everything that we had as far as firepower on offense. Uh, that that returned that season, and the draft that we had that prior spring, bringing in those three first round draft picks uh, that we use on the defensive side of the ball, we're pretty excited about where we were. We um, we felt very very confident uh, about as far as being in the division that we were in. Felt that we could uh, not only win it but probably sweep that division, and um, that opportunity came. But when it came time to postseason play, man, we were clicking on all cylinders. Um, I think we put up points that, that, that probably have just been matched uh, by, by other teams. But as far as the confidence level, man, we were, we were excited. Um, and, and we were really flying high, man. We couldn't wait to get to the postseason. You guys go 14-2. and two, You win the two playoff games to get to the Super Bowl and then lose on, obviously, Adam Vinatieri's kick. I remember yep. Grant Wistrom telling me after the, that Super Bowl loss that the whole season was a waste. I don't look at it that way. You guys win 16-3. and three. What are your emotions about the, the big picture, the, the fact that you did have a great season but didn't win the Super Bowl? Is it a waste? Well, I tell you what, the big picture for 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 guys like myself, like Grant at that time, it was always framed with a Super Bowl. 
So we, we were only focused on winning the Super Bowl. Um, I remember um, there were a couple of guys on the defensive side of the ball that were snubbed for the Pro Bowl that year. And, you know, the only response they had was, so what? We're going to win the Super Bowl anyhow. So, you know, that was our main focus that season. Uh, to be 16-3 and three is a great feat. Um, I, I don't think it really stands out uh, above winning a Super Bowl title uh, because there are other teams that, you know, went 18-1 and one, but didn't win the championship. So you kind of, you know, you can kind of let that season slip through your mind. But at the same time, man, it was, a, it was a great season. We played some great ball on both sides of the football, including special teams. And uh, some great memories came out of it. But just in the end, you know, <laughs> we just didn't get it done. Isaac, Randy and I were talking about the greatest show on turf earlier in the show, and there was such a collection of elite talent on that team. You, Tori, Marshall, obviously Kurt Warner. But just how critical was Orlando Pace to the success of the greatest show on turf offense? Well, if you if you start to go down the list and rank the players uh, on that team, uh, he'd definitely be number one. He's forever number one with me because, you know, you don't have your five-step drops. You don't have your seven-step drops where we could hold the football and actually throw the ball down the field without Orlando Pace being there. I mean, he could, he could X out guys. He had guys like Dwight Freeney wasn't a match for it. And, you know, anytime we saw guys in our division, um, you know, he really just X out one side of the field. And that's special to do when you got a guy who can move as well as he could, as nimble as he was, uh, very confident, hard worker. And that all just culminated into the person that he ended up being, which was a hall of famer. So, um, I always said that you could probably take me out for a couple of weeks and, and, and the show goes on. You could take Kurt out. The show goes on. Marshall, it doesn't go on as well without Marshall. You could take Tory out. But if you take Big O out of that lineup, man, I mean, things start to crumble. And Isaac, I'll be interested to see the Chiefs this year. And I know Orlando Brown, the, the guy they got from Baltimore, is a good player. But when you rebuild right. your entire offensive line and you play offense the way they do, there has to be right. some question marks, right? Uh, most definitely, because, you know, with the new CBA, you don't get that time that, you know, you had when we were playing. We would play, you know, practice probably 35 times against each other before we actually saw another color, another different team to compete against. So uh, the off seasons and the OTAs are very important this day and time. And I'm not really sure how much time they'll have on the field this year. But when you bring in a new entire new line, they have to, you know, they have to have that synergy. They have to. Uh, start to read each other's minds and, and, and be able to pick up the stunts and everything and just, just have repetitions. So, so those things have been cut a little bit, but, you know, I can see a, a, a group like that being, being led by Andy Reid, you know, probably kicking it into gear probably week two or week three. I mean, it's just going to take a little time. The defense can always just peel their ears back and just rush the quarterback. That's no problem and cre- create chaos. But it's a synergy and it's a, a beautiful thing when you see – five offensive linemen who are uh, cohesive with each other and be able to pick up stunts and blocks and that things of that nature. So it'll take a little while, but I'm sure they'll get it together. Isaac, speaking of the Chiefs, Travis Kelsey, Greg Olson, George Kittle, they got a group of 49 tight ends together for Tight End University where they all got together and picked one another's brains in order to help hone their craft. When you were coming up, did you ever do anything like that where you got a group of wide receivers together? And if so, during your time, is there any one person that you would always go to to pick their brain or someone that you wish you could have picked their brain? Oh, you know what? I picked plenty of brains for me um I would I would be that guy you know really not saying much at the Pro Bowl but I'd have my pad and pencil out and I watch guys run certain routes 
uh, the Chris Carters, the the Michael Irvins, the Jerry Rice's, the obvious. And I just sit back and see how they would attack a route, and I take a mental, mental picture of it, and at the same time write it down, and then and I go and use it myself when training camp came back. So um, I never got guys that just really brought guys together like that. I wish I had. I think that's a great idea by those tight ends. They should add, include the great Kel- Kellen Winslow in there, man, from from Mizzou. So, but. Um, for me personally, uh, there are a ton of guys that I love watching. I grew up a Miami Dolphins fan, like I always see on this show. And some of the things that Mark Clayton and Mark Duper did, I tried to mimic, um, you know, from my childhood. And I just remember those th- those things. And it, and they and as I grew up as a professional football player, those things worked for me. So um, it's always good to have mentors. I think those guys are doing a great job for that next generation coming behind them, and it'll benefit the game of football as a whole. Isaac, was there ever anyone that gave you a piece of advice that you carried with you? Oh, absolutely. Indeed. Who was the main, what's the main thing from your football career, though? Who was the guy that gave you something that you you carried with you throughout your career? Oh, I remember uh, my my first year, my rookie year, um, I was playing, um, we played the New York Giants, and I believe it was in L.A., um, there was a guy, Thomas Lewis. Um, he was drafted before me, uh, and I felt like I should have been drafted before him, but Jesse Hester was on that team at that time. And uh, he kind of opened my eyes to the point where, you know, we're playing, you're playing against a guy that you felt like you were better than, better than when you were coming out of college. Go out and, and not only prove that to yourself, but prove that to him as well. So I kind of took that approach. I mean, Jesse was a guy who, who played at Florida State, and I had a lot of respect for him. Uh, the way he ran routes and uh, was a professional. So um, every time I, I, I ran up against someone that I felt like uh, I was better than or was in my class or uh, or went to the universities of uh, Miami, Florida State, and Florida, where I felt like I should have got a scholarship, I kind of turned it up a notch. So I kind of got that mentality from him, and it worked out pretty good for me. I, w- I wanted to ask you, speaking about being in a class, you're joining the, the most elite class ever. When you get up on that stage on August 7th and you look at all those other gold jackets and Marino will be up there and your teammates will be up there and Jerry Rice will be up there, yeah. uh, among the people in that group that you're joining, who are you most excited about being up on that stage with? Well, you, you just mentioned it. I mean, there's, there's a guy who, who continuously rolls his eyes at me every time he sees me coming because I get a selfie, and that's Dan Marino. I mean, I, I grew up watching the guy play. Uh, I remember when he was drafted out of uh, out of Pittsburgh with the Miami Dolphins. I remember the first time he replaced David Woodley uh, as a uh, as the starting quarterback, and going on to having that great 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 season he had, where he led his team to the Super Bowl. Um, I just remember that and just being able to sit down and have conversation with him. I'm always a fan uh, when I'm in his presence. So I never feel like, you know, a colleague or a person on his level. So um, yeah, it's Dan Marino. It, it, it's that guy. Um, he's been the guy for me for a very long time, and I don't see that changing, man. That's Michelle's favorite player of all time, too. Yeah, Isaac. I love Dan the man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Absolutely. Before you head to Canton, you're going to be here in St. Louis because I know you want to spread the, the cheer of you're going to the yeah. Hall of Fame with St. Louis. So we've got the Gold Jacket Gala coming up July 23rd at the Four Seasons, and that'll benefit the Isaac Bruce Foundation. Tickets available at IsaacBruce.org. And we love to see you, and I know that you always love to spend time with St. Louis, and especially now, right before you go into the Hall of Fame. Correct. Yeah, we got uh, – uh, 
uh, that that event that's coming up the gala is going to be special and it benefits the Isaac Bruce Foundation and everything that we've been doing there in St. Louis since 2006. You know, in, in uh, you know, along with uh, Let's Engage dot com uh, slash Isaac, you know, both of those uh, both of those the proceeds are going towards my, my flight 300 program, a uh, very special program to myself for myself that I created. And uh, we've been doing great work, got our first international uh, student application. Uh, here recently. So being able to do that, man, and, and continue to make an impact in St. Louis is the goal. And I think we're we're very much uh, on the way to uh, completing it. And Flight 300 is so necessary because people don't yeah. think of it. Isaac uh, provides transportation to college-bound students in need. No applicant is turned away for the program, provides one-way airfare, covers the cost of checking bags, provides an Uber from home to the airport and then from the airport to campus, as well as provides a gift card to purchase items that couldn't be, couldn't be purchased like bedding or towels or personal hygiene items. So just to get kids to school, is something that we don't think enough about, and that's what Flight 300 does, and it's an amazing thought and an amazing mission on your part. Absolutely. You know, I was thinking, Randy, 31 years ago, I was in that exact position where I needed a a flight. I needed funds to get a flight to travel to uh, Los Angeles to go to junior college. So once I got in a position to provide the same thing, man, I jumped at the uh, opportunity, and it's been great thus far. And we advise people to help out. Go to letsengage.com slash Isaac. Try to get involved in the sweepstakes so that you can join Isaac in Canton, and that'll be a great time. And, Isaac, I don't know if we told you we're going to be there. Michelle and I are going to be broadcasting from your hotel the, more, the Friday morning before the, uh, b- before the uh, induction. Well, Randy, we got to sit down and, and, and talk uh, St. Louis sports, man. I mean, it'll be a, it'll be a fun time. Uh, I won't have far to walk, so I'll see you in the, in the lobby somewhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sounds great. You're the best. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. And we'll hopefully see you on the 23rd, okay? Yes. Thank you, Randy. Michelle, thank, thank you. Thanks, Isaac. The great Isaac Bruce with us on 101 ESPN. I mean, could you ask for a, a better representative of St. Louis sports than Isaac Bruce? No, he's wonderful. And by the way, coming up at 845 after the fight, we're going to ask you who the best St. Louis athlete that should be in a Hall of Fame but isn't is. You can send us your text, 65780, or you can leave us a mic drop with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. Any sport, football, baseball, hockey, Uh, basketball, soccer, the best St. Louis athlete that should be in the Hall of Fame but isn't. Tori Holt will be on that list. Scott Rowland will be on that list. We want to hear from you who you think that is. But next up, it's The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Carriker and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe. It's Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN on this Monday. And let's kick off this week's first edition of The Fight. Chris is Randy's competition today. What's up, Chris? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys? Well, I'm doing good. Did you have a good weekend? Uh, spent the weekend working, but I spent time relaxing and doing my own thing, so it wasn't too bad. Nice. Well, hopefully you can get your week started off right with a win in the fight. So good luck to you, Chris. 
Thank you. All right, question number one. Diana Taurasi became the first WNBA player to reach 9,000 career points over the weekend. Which team has she spent the entirety of her WNBA career with? Is it the Seattle Storm, the Los Angeles, Spar- the Los Angeles Sparks, or the Phoenix, Phoenix Mercury? Uh, Los Angeles. The Stanley Cup final begins tonight with the Montreal Canadiens and Tampa Bay Lightning squaring off for the title. Tampa Bay won their first Stanley Cup in the 2003-2004 season against which team? Was it the Edmonton Oilers, the New Jersey Devils, or the Calgary Flames? Calgary Flames. Chris, on Friday night, Yachty passed Johnny Bench and moved into eighth place on the all-time hits list for catchers, now with 2,052 hits. Who is the all-time leader for hits by a catcher? Is it Carlton Fisk, is it Pudge Rodriguez, or is it Ted Simmons? Ted Simmons. And before Fernando Tatis Jr. accomplished this on Friday, who was the last National League shortstop to hit three home runs in a single game? Was it Trevor Story, Paul DeYoung, or Corey Seager? Uh, what was that first option? Your options are Trevor Story, Paul DeYoung, and Corey Seager. I'm going to go Trevor Story. Okay, checking our score here. Randy's coming in. Randy today is wearing a very nice San Francisco Giants spring training shirt. Are we now a Giants show, Randy? Yes. Oh, okay. Noted. Is that okay? You don't, you don't mind bandwagons? I don't really like to cheer for teams that beat my team. Okay. And the Giants have uh, taken it to the Cardinals a few times in the postseason, so I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know if I can jump on that bandwagon. But this is a completely different Giants team. They they still have Posey and Crawford and Belt, but otherwise, they don't have many guys that have beat us. Still, Randy, sometimes in oh, low it's moments. The, it's the laundry. Sometimes in low moments, I hear Travis Ishikawa. Oh, yeah. Those are low moments. You know? Low yeah. moments. <laughs> you know, we... I, I can't forget that. Okay. Got a nice ballpark, gar- garlic fries. I had a great time at that ballpark. Beautiful ballpark. Yeah. All right. You might be convincing me. I'm just saying. It's just, I'm, ne- I'm never going to cheer for the Red Sox. I'm never going to cheer for the Patriots. These are teams I'm just not going to cheer for. If they've, call- I'm just certainly never going to cheer for North Carolina. So why would I cheer for the Giants? Emily uh, informed me this morning that uh, her American League team is the Red Sox. Uh, she told me too, and I said it makes me think you like the Cardinals <laughs> hey, a little they less. They are a completely different team. Still, 2013 exists. 2004 exists. I can't just pretend it doesn't. 2013 exists. Plus, why would you want to associate yourself with Boston fans? That's the real question. Don't pitch to Poppy. Why are you pitching to? Why? <laughs> anyway, back to Chris. Back to Chris. All right. Uh, Randy, say hello to Chris. Chris, good morning. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you. All right, Randy. Question number one. Mm-hmm. Diana Taurasi became the first WNBA player to reach 9,000 career points over the weekend. Which team has she spent the entirety of her WNBA career with? Diana Taurasi. I believe she is a, a Phoenix Lifelock Mercury. I've seen her uh, name in the banners at uh, their arena. That's why I think I know that. They're, and the reason I call them the Life Lock is because they're it's like soccer jerseys. They have mm-hmm. like a big Life Lock across the front of their jersey. For sure. Yeah. Is that what their sponsor is? Yeah. The Stanley Cup final begins tonight with the Montreal Canadiens and Tampa Bay Lightning squaring off for the title. Tampa Bay won their first Stanley Cup in the 2003-2004 season against which team? Tampa Bay against... 
who did we have from the West that year? Um, oh my, I can't believe I can't think of this. Colorado wasn't good yet. Well, they were pretty good. 2003, 2004. Okay, blues, black. I'll, I'll just do the lifeline. I don't want to go through the teams right now. <laughs> Your options are Edmonton Oilers, New no. Jersey Devils, Calgary Flames. Well, it certainly wasn't uh, the Devils because they same, came from the same conference. That was, if I'm not mistaken, uh, who was it for? Tampa had a former blue and Calgary had Craig Conroy, I think. So I'll go with uh, Calgary. Friday night, Randy, Yachty passed Johnny Bench and moved into eighth place on the all-time hits list for catchers. He now has 2,052 hits. Who is the all-time leader for hits by a catcher? Pudge Rodriguez. And before Fernando Tatis Jr. accomplished this on Friday, who was the last National League shortstop to hit three home runs in a single game? Mm. That's a good one. Um... Story did it like right at the beginning of his career. Um, so let's see again. Dot Seeger, Padres, Crawford. Crawford's done it too, but not recently. Um, Rockies to D backs, Cards, Cubs. Javi's done it. I don't think it was recent. Cards, Cubs, Brewers. Um, and then. Nobody in the East, I don't think. Pirates, or I mean, Phillies, Marlins, Braves. No, nope. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that this is gonna be between Seager and Story, and I think I'm gonna go Trevor Story. Who is our first winner of the week in the fight? Is it Chris or is it Randy? Emily, let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Randy came out firing today. Sorry, Chris. He beat you three to one. Three to one. So Diana Taurasi wow. has spent the entire entirety of her WNBA career with the Phoenix Mercury, 2004 until today. It's a long time. Absolutely. So That's Tam- incredible. Isn't it? Tampa Bay won their first Stanley Cup in the 2003-2004 season against the Calgary Flames. It was Pedro Rodriguez. He's the all-time leader for hits by a catcher. And before Jan- Fernando Tatis Jr. accomplished this on Friday, the last National League shortstop to hit three home runs in a game was our very own Paulie D, Paul DeYoung. Wow. July 24th, 2019 versus the Pirates. I'm definitely ashamed of not knowing that one. What, what year? 2019. July 24th, 2019 oh, versus the Pirates. I had completely forgotten that he had three right? home runs in a game. He's yeah. actually the last shortstop in all of baseball. How about I tried that? to narrow it down. <laughs> wow. Good stat. Well, thanks so much for playing, Chris. Have a great rest of your week. You too. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. Good to have you with us. Coming up, Isaac Bruce is headed to the Hall of Fame. What St. Louis athlete deserves to be in the Hall of Fame but isn't? We want your text. We want your mic drops next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Earlier this hour, we spoke to Isaac Bruce, and after a long wait and 
his induction being delayed because of the pandemic. He is going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame later this summer and brought to mind some great St. Louis athletes that have not been inducted into the Hall of Fame, but should be. And we have a ton of responses on the text line, 65780. And you can also leave us a Rhino Shield mic drop with the 101 ESPN app. If you have somebody that you think should be in the Hall of Fame, you can tell us about it and why. Michelle Smallman, who is your St. Louis athlete that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but is not? I think I have to stick with the greatest show on turf, Randy, and I'm going with Tori Holt. I think Tori Holt absolutely is a Hall of Famer, and hopefully he gets the call or the knock, whatever it will be in this, you know, post-pandemic world. But Tori Holt is a Hall of Famer. He has the most reception receptions and yards from 2000 to 2009. He led the NFL in receiving yards two times in 2000 and 2003. Both time he averaged over 100 yards per game and his career game average of 77.4 ranks sixth all time. Sixth all time. That's mm-hmm. a Hall of Famer. And when he retired, he was second all time and the proliferation of passing that was spawned by the greatest show on turf is part of the reason that so many guys have passed him up. Michelle, I'm going to go with Ken Boyer, five-time Gold Glove winner. He was the National League MVP in 1964. He had a career batting average of 287, career on base of 349, and a career slug of 462, 280 two career home runs and better than several third basemen that are already in the Hall of Fame, including one of his contemporaries, Ron Santo. So I'm going to go with Kenny Boyer. Good choice. Uh, to your text 65780, we're getting a lot of response for Jimmy Baseball, Jim Edmonds. I'm surprised Jim Edmonds didn't get more of a look for the Baseball Hall of Fame, to be honest with you. And I think you can make a more than sound case that Jim Edmonds should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. When you think about what he did during the first part of his time here in St. Louis. He was way better than Ken Griffey Jr. was in the first half of their careers in their new cities. Now, Griffey clearly was the best guy from the time he came up in the late 80s until 1999. But after that, Edmonds, from 2000 to 2005 here in St. Louis, 292, 406, 584 slash. So he had a 988 OPS for his first six years here in St. Louis averaged, average Michelle, 35 homers, 98 RBIs. And as we know, was such an unbelievable postseason performer. And the voters do take that into consideration, but not for Jimmy. He didn't even make it past the first ballot. I don't get that at all. Which is crazy because he does have so many signature postseason moments. He has the electrifying highlight reel. He's an all-around complete baseball player. It's a real shame that he didn't get more of a look. Other St. Louis athletes that should be in the Hall of Fame that aren't, we get a Keith Kachuk from the 913. And I agree with that. He's 31st all-time in goals. He's 63rd all-time in points. He is 12th all-time in power play goals. He's 40th all-time in game winners. 43rd all-time in shots. He's just he's in the top 40 of so many different categories for all the players that have played in the NHL. It's bewildering to me that he doesn't get much more play for the Hall of Fame. It really is surprising. As 40th all-time in game-winning goals. He has 72 game-winning goals. Yeah. It's amazing. Goal. Amazing. And 500 goals and 1,000 points. That should get you into the Hall of Fame. There's that many guys right. that have scored 500 goals that are not in the Hall of Fame. So I would put him in there. For sure. Another guy that we haven't gotten a text about yet. And I 
his time has probably passed. But when Jim Hart retired from the football Cardinals and Washington, he spent his last year in Washington. When he retired from the NFL, he was third all-time in passing yards behind only Fran Tarkenton and Johnny Unitas. And he's still 32nd all-time. And he had 209 passing touchdowns. And that was sixth all-time when he retired. So apples to apples, the people that he had played against or preceded him, he was right at the top of the list. And I wish he would have gotten more consideration right when he retired because now so many people have passed him because, again, of the proliferation of passing. And to go from third to 32nd in passing yards, a pretty precipitous drop from the time that he retired. But, man, he was a good player when he played. What about this one from the 636? Steven Jackson, SJ39. Steven Jackson was in the wrong place at the wrong, wrong time. He is absolutely borderline. But if he would have played on a team that was any good and made the playoffs, he would have been a Hall of Famer. I don't have any doubt that he would have put up better numbers. And obviously, showing up in the playoffs and doing what Steven did would have put him in the Hall of Fame. 11,438 total yards, 2,764 rushing yards, 69 touchdowns. If you could put him on any team, would it be the Steelers? Yes, he, w- he would have been the perfect Pittsburgh Steeler. That is always one of the w- big what-ifs for me because he's he's a Hall of Fame player. He just mm-hmm. didn't play on a Hall of Fame team. So much of sports is being in the right place at the right time. And he he's one of the biggest victims of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I have one more for you. Okay. What about Chris Carpenter? A lot of people texting in about Baseball Jesus. And you know he's my favorite Cardinal of all time. Yeah. So I want to get your take on it. I just don't think his numbers stack up. He was great in the postseason, but I don't think that his numbers, in large part because of injury, stack up to being a Hall of Famer. He's got the championships, Cy Young, mm-hmm. three-time All-Star. All that stuff going for him, but just not enough. I but, do- but think about how elite that group is. If someone like Chris Carpenter, who's right. won multiple awards, he's won a Cy Young, he's, he is has all the makings of an amazing elite pitcher, and he's still not in that category. And one of the best, um, one of the best franchises right. in all of history, and certainly a Cardinal Hall of Famer. And he but, led the charge for a lot of those teams. Right, no doubt about it. Multiple texts also for Mark McGuire. Right. And yes, Mark McGuire should be in the Hall of Fame. The reasons for him not being in the Hall of Fame are different. I believe if he wouldn't have had the PED surrounding him when he retired in 2001, I think in 2006 he would have gone in. But I think if he, reti- if he retires with the exact same numbers, for example, in 2016, I don't think he goes in in 2021, even with the 583 homers. But we always say that the Hall of Fame is a museum that tells the story mm-hmm. of baseball. And how do you tell the story of baseball without Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, no. and, the, and the home run chase? Right. My personal opinion is that he should be in. But I don't think that the writers would put him in. And, but you're 100% right. It just seems like a a big omission in the story of baseball. It is. And, and it's a shame because if you go to that museum and you're missing McGuire and Bonds and Sosa and Roger Clemens, it, it's kind of ridiculous. It is. Uh, some other votes. And by the way, let me see. I, I, we had uh, one other name that we had on our list. Oh, London Fletcher. London Fletcher was one of the great all-time middle linebackers, had way more tackles than Brian Urlacher. 
So Fletcher played 16 seasons and had 2,039 tackles in 16 seasons. Erlacher played 13 seasons and had 1,300 tackles. Erlacher averaged about 100 tackles a year, London well over that. Junior Seau played 20 seasons, had 1,847 tackles. Fletcher, again, 16 seasons, had 2,039. There's no doubt in my mind that... London Fletcher is a Pro Football Hall of Famer, and hopefully he'll get more consideration as his candidacy unfolds because he was awesome, played on a Super Bowl champion. He was Mm -hmm. the heart and soul of a defense of two Super Bowl teams, not only 99, but 01. And one of the big mistakes that the Rams ever made in St. Louis was letting London Fletcher get away. Absolutely. I bet they wish they had that one back. No doubt about it. Brad Thompson from the 314 for his broadcast career. Absolutely. BT's one of the best broadcasters there is. Absolutely, he is. He's such a natural, too. From the first time he came in, remember when I was producing for the Fast mm-hmm. Lane and he filled in, I remember us saying, wow, he's great. He he just has such a natural ability. And to think that he never really did this before and then he popped onto radio and now he's excelling multi-platforms, Brad's great. He is. I wonder if he wants to win that Ford Frick Award. Someday. Should we start the campaign right now, BT I, for the Frick? I think it's a good <laughs> idea. Yeah. BT for the frick. I love it. That's great. One other one, not an athlete, but a coach. And I'm glad that you brought this name up uh, from the 314, Don Coriel, who changed football. We have what we have today in football, the passing game, because Don Coriel came to the NFL. So that's a really great call. And thanks for all of your input here. This was great. And we've had a lot of great St. Louis athletes, obviously, in the Hall of Fame, but that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, too. Coming up next, what kind of move should the Cardinals make as they approach the deadline in a little over a month? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Tomorrow morning at 9.30, the Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozalock, will join us. But uh, we're going to do a little bit of his work right now. Okay. Because that's what we do here. It's 9.05, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, we are a little over a month away from baseball's trade deadline, July 31st. So I want to know from you first, and I'll give you my answer. What should the Cardinals do at the deadline? Maybe, Randy, I would make a small move and potentially bring in a starting pitcher that you could have to eat some innings for this team. But if I'm the Cardinals, we know that the market's going to be crazy. A lot of teams out there have some needs because of so many injuries that are happening. A, I don't know if the Cardinals have the package needed to go out and acquire some of the players that they might covet. And B, if the team continues on this pace for the next week and a half or so leading into the trade deadline. If I'm John Mosley, like I don't want to go out there and give up anything or make a ton of moves. If I don't think this team can improve, I would be more concerned about the health of the guys that are on this team. And I would be thinking more about 2022. That's where I am. I, I'm of the belief that what the Cardinals should do is if there's interest in Andrew Miller, he's a free agent at the end of this year, move him on. I can't imagine that there would be interest in Carlos Martinez, but if there's somebody that will take him for nothing, move him on. Although you you might just want to use him and and just wear him out down the stretch to get the innings out of him. So maybe unless you 
get value for him. I really think the only move you have is to get a prospect maybe for Andrew Miller. There is no chance, no chance that I would give up a Gorman for a Scherzer. No. This isn't the 2016 Cubs where they gave up Labor Torres for uh, Aroldis Chapman. You you don't go out and rent somebody. The only moves you make if you're Mo are moves that can help you in 2022. I couldn't agree more with you. So you go out and get a guy like Joey Gallo. But now that you're getting a look and you don't know what Lars Nootbar is going to be for the <laughs> long term, but is getting a year of Joey Gallo's power worth it for the Cardinals? Because you might be able to turn Bader into a fourth outfielder here. Well, heading into this season the Cardinals still wanted to get enough of a sample size to know who Tyler O'Neill was, mm-hmm. to know who Harrison Bader is. And with the injuries, they haven't necessarily gotten the feel for him yet. And what we've seen out of him so far this season has been improving, improved. There has been encouraging signs from him. So if I'm the Cardinals, if he's on a rehab assignment right now and he's coming back, I want to play him and I want to see what he's got. I want to make sure that by the end of this season, Mm -hmm. there is no doubt in my mind that he's either going to be a piece that's going to contribute to this team moving forward or that I'm going to move on from him. So I want you to play the general manager of a team that's on the precipice of the playoffs. I'll even, I'll give you a franchise if you so desire. Sure, sure. You are, Michelle, the... uh, Let's go with the wash. Now uh, let's go with the Reds. Okay. You know, just leave out the fact that they're in the same division. Okay. Sure. Okay. Okay. Do you have any interest in Paul DeYoung? No. Do you? I think we've already established Carlos. Do you have any interest, in Carlos? No. Not really. No. Do you have any interest in Lane Thomas? No. Do you have any interest in Justin Williams? No. Do you have, uh, I'm trying to go down the list, any interest in Andrew Kisner? Because we do have Herrera on the way. Uh, No. I'm not finding the guys that contending teams are really going to have an awful lot of interest in. You aren't trading Flaherty. You aren't trading any of your big four. Your big four are Wainwright, Molina, Arenado, Goldschmidt. No, they're here. I would put Carlson in that mix. And and Carlson, yeah. Okay, let's make it a big five. Tommy Edmond. I don't think that Tommy, I don't think a contender says, yeah, Tommy Edmonds going to be part of the answer to put me over the top. Yeah, I agree. I love the guy. I'm, I, I'm eating my skyline chili and I don't, I'm looking over no. the numbers. Don't think Tommy Edmonds the piece we need. No. KK, no. free agent after no. this year. No. So I, I'm just not seeing it. The, Miller, because of his history, if you get something out of him in the next month, might be a guy that you could move. But otherwise, there aren't guys for the Cardinals to trade. The thing about Tommy Edmond is that I think there's a lot of positives to him. And he did start off the season very strong. He is a very versatile player. He's an intelligent baseball player. He's someone that I think could be a benefit to the clubhouse in so many ways on and off the field. So he does intrigue me. And if I'm a team that potentially has a need there and I'm looking at the Cardinals as a whole and that as a whole, the team has regressed. I am intrigued by Tommy Edmond, but, but I don't I don't know if he's the the person that I feel like is going to push a contender over the edge. And that's my point because I think he's more valuable for the Cardinals future sure. than he is for the Reds present. If, if Mike Moustakis is still hurt, are you going to go get Tommy Edmond or are you going to go try to get an Adam Frazier from the Pirates or are you going to get 
a, a more veteran guy, a, a Jonathan Scope from Detroit. Right. You're going to get a guy that's been through the wars before. And if you're the Cardinals, who do you have? You you don't have Wong anymore. So if Tommy Edmond isn't your second baseman next year, I guess it could be Sosa. But you kind of need to have Tommy Edmond around for 2022. My focus is just like yours. My focus is on 2022. Hopes you get some guys healthy. Find out what Nootbar is. Maybe get Andrew Kisner a few more at-bats. And hope you get some pitchers healthy. And then determine what you really need for 2022. Heading into this season, and even in the early part of the season, this looked like a team that would easily win the division, would be a playoff team, and you would see what what happened after that. We're at the point where I'm wondering if we're going to look back on this and call 2021 the Wayno, uh, the Wayno and Yachty farewell tour. It might be. Because the second half yeah. of the season, when you have a lot of fans in the stands, if this team continues at this pace, that's the only selling point you have to the fans. Right. Is come out and show your respect to these two great Cardinals who have given everything they have to this yeah. organization. And by the way, even if you bring those two guys back next year. Carpen- that's right. They could be back next year. Yeah. Carpenter is coming off the books at 18 and a half. Fowler's coming off the books. You're paying him about ten and a half this year. Miller's coming off the books at ten to twelve million dollars. Uh, there's somebody else coming off, and, and then KK coming off too. There's about sixty million dollars coming off the books without Wayno and Yachty. Okay, maybe the Cardinals and Greg Amsinger's brought this up in the past. Maybe the Cardinals get in the market for one of those big money shortstops. Maybe because, because they don't have one right now. And. I would think if this season continues on at this pace, they've got to do something big. And they mm-hmm. did last season. They went out and got Nolan Arenado, and yeah. I respect them for making that move. But clearly, if you have Paul Goldschmidt and you have Nolan Arenado, if Dylan Carlson is the player that they expect him to be, you have enough pieces to where you have expected that you're going to open a window to win. Right. And so you're going to have to go all in at some point. And so then my question becomes... So you fix the shortstop, okay, and you hopefully fix the offense. Are you confident, presuming Wainwright comes back, in a rotation of Flaherty, Wainwright, Reyes? Libertor? Maybe Libertor. Michaelis is under contract. You're going to give him the shot. You don't have Carlos back. Mm -mm. You probably don't have KK back. So that starting five is what you're talking about, and then not, and I don't know what you ha- what happens with Oviedo, but I think you might have to go out and get yourself another veteran starting pitcher too. Yeah, I certainly hope that Miles Michaelis can come back healthy and contribute. I'm very much intrigued by the possibility and the potential of Libertor and Reyes. Adam Wainwright has been as steady as they come for the Cardinals, but at, at some point. That's not going to be there. Mm-hmm. And Jack Flaherty coming off injury, I mean, he's been great. Yeah. So I, I I believe in him. I'm more intrigued by by that five than I would be in another collection, but I still think there's a lot of question marks and there. B- by the way, we didn't mention Dakota Hudson. So oh, you'll okay, have that's right. yep. Flaherty, Hudson, Reyes, Michaelis, Wainwright, and then you've got Libertor waiting in the wings. Can, I'd still like to get another veteran so starting I, pitcher. So I, yep, uh-huh. <laughs> no doubt about it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to talk to the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, about the Stanley Cup finals next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you, and it's time for our Monday visit with the voice of your St. Louis Blues on 101 ESPN, Chris Kerber. Kerbs, good morning. How are you doing? Randy, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. We're looking forward to the Stanley Cup Finals starting tonight here on 101 ESPN at 6.30 Tampa and Montreal. And every year we have a surprise playoff team, and this year it's the Canadians. But now looking at them and watching them through the playoffs, are you really surprised by what they've accomplished? Oh, you know what? I am a little bit still. I look, they've earned where they're at, no doubt about it. Uh, but the reality of it is, is considering the way some of these divisions were set up this year, I think it left for some great unknowns come the playoffs. And Montreal has emerged out of that great unknown. And you know what? They're playing a terrific team game, and they're getting world-class goaltending finally in the playoffs from Carey Price. And I think one of the biggest things has probably held the Canadians back over the last few years has been their goaltending, and, and Carey Price has been inconsistent in the regular season, enough to make you wonder that had they been able to leave him unprotected, if they would have uh, in this year's expansion draft. But that uh, he's played extraordinarily well and been the difference maker for him. They're fun to watch. They'll, they'll give Tampa a bit of a fight here. Mm-hmm. And Curbs, Pat Maroon back to another Stanley Cup final. It's so crazy to me to think back to 2019 and think about how at one point in the season we wondered if Pat Maroon would even be there at the end of the season for the Blues. And he goes on to be the hometown hero, help the Blues hoist a cup. He wins one with Tampa Bay. And here he is with a chance to three-peat. How crazy is that? Listen, I was thinking about this, Michelle, over the weekend. I I, I honestly think I think the Pat Maroon story uh, – could potentially be mer- like movie worthy. Yeah. Like I honestly think they could make a movie. And you you, you go back and you know here's here's a kid you know from Oakville, Missouri, uh, had the nickname Fat Pat, right? You know, and 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 worked his way into a, just a tremendous player. Wins a national championship in in junior hockey, right? Gets drafted, gets pulled along by Bruce Boudreaux that helps him with Anaheim and then goes to Philadelphia. I mean, just a great story. But the best part about that story is he was offered a four-year contract by the Edmonton Oilers prior to becoming a free agent. And in the end, he, uh, in, in the end, in, he turned it down. He wanted to be closer to home, wanted to be closer to his son. Again, part of the great story. Took a gamble on himself. Wasn't sought after majorly as a free agent. Signs a one-year deal, wins a cup doesn't get offered a contract by the team he won the cup with, signs a one-year deal with Tampa, wins a cup, gets a two-year deal, and he's back in the Stanley Cup final. I I think it's just an absolutely spectacular, tremendous story of betting and banking on yourself, and and I'm I'm thrilled for Pat. And Curbs, we've read a lot about this. We know Pat Maroon's energy, and we know his personality, but what does he bring to a team on and off the ice? Why is someone like Pat Maroon so valuable, in your opinion? I think as he's grown in his NHL career, I think that it's been the confidence of just belonging, right? There's nobody in the league that can intimidate him. There's nobody in the league that can chirp at him and cause him to shrink. You know, he's got a bit of a larger-than-life personality out there. And especially having one, now he's done it all. I mean, who, who can chirp the guy, right? And so he brings some swagger. He brings some confidence. You know, and, and even though he's playing less a game, sometimes only nine minutes a game for Tampa, he gets down in the corners. He, he wins the puck battles, and 
and he pulls it off. So he he's a he's a good, confident, lively, you know, locker room guy too. I, I think it was was it the double going into I think first or second overtime against Dallas as they're leaving the room. He's the one that bellowed out, "This is what dreams are made of, guys." You know, I mean, <laughs> just just a just a, a developed himself into a terrific teammate and locker room guy. And one of the things that he brings to that team and. The year the Blues won the Stanley Cup, they were swept in the first round, and they just didn't have size up front. And even now, Curbs, they aren't really big up front, but he brings that element to them. Well, he does, Randy, and, and that's why when when Breezewatt took over for Steve Eiserman and he made some adjustments to the Tampa roster, they made the adjustment for some of that size and grit. Look at Look at Edmonton, look at Toronto. You know, look at the teams that have been kind of built differently with the high-end skills, trying, you know, to do it. And, and they just can't find playoff success. And, and Tampa was having that problem as well with the way their roster was built. Breezebaugh just tweaked it a little bit, brought in a little bit more of that size and grit, and look, and look at the difference. Look what Mark Bergevin did with Joel Edmondson, mm-hmm. you know, on, on his blue line, right? And what a huge difference that has made there. I mean, this is uh, – it, it, there is a – pattern there is a blueprint for successful grinded playoff hockey over a seven game series and i don't think you can do it with just skill alone without having some beef on the bun curbs i said to michelle last week after vegas lost that we really have to appreciate the more that the blues 2019 stanley cup championship is in the rearview mirror you have to appreciate taking advantage of the windows when they're open and and i look now vegas is still going to be really good but their window rather than being wide open is starting to close a little bit you see a team like colorado and they're going to lose players and they've been one of the most talented teams in the league for a while you really do have to take advantage of the opportunities when you get them to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, you do, because if you look at the Blues, I mean, to think that two years later, you've lost three players to career-ending injuries, essentially, right, with Gunnarsson, Steen, and Bomeister. I mean, it, it, it can change in a hurry on you. And so you're absolutely right. Vegas, now Vegas is going to be pretty good, because Vegas, Vegas doesn't have any roster room, but they don't really have to go out and re-sign anybody. They're right. in a great spot, right? Colorado's got some players they're going to have to re-sign, and some guys are going to have to take, say, less than fair market value if they're going to stick with them, you know. But but they they do have some cap space, so so I, I think they'll be okay there for a little bit. But you're right, that's not going to last long there, and they're, you're going to have to try and, and, and steal it. I'm I'm fascinated that Mark Andre Fleury takes Vegas is all the way he did pretty much all season long. And then it's in those last three games that, that Pete DeBoer starts to play goalie juggling with them, you know, and I, I was kind of amazed to see that in that series. But um, if, if there's anything that they're going to have to, that Vegas is going to have to do, it's probably going to have to be a, a decision on what they're going to do with their goaltending. I don't, I don't see them sticking, you know, a whole nother year with both Flurry and, and Leonard because they also keep in mind, they dealt with cap issues throughout the season where sometimes they would have to play down a player or two, right. Uh, to be able to, to be able just to, to field a team, you know, like Bacioretti got hurt. They couldn't bring anybody up to play for him because they didn't have the cap space. I'm not sure they want to go into another season with that. No. And if you're Seattle in the expansion draft, as great as Marc-Andre Fleury has been for Vegas, do you take a guy who's still got a couple of years left at big money and is going to turn 37 in November? <laughs> Listen, I, I, why not? 
I mean, he's proven he could do it. Wouldn't that be something if, if he – and I don't know that – I mean, that would have to be a first, right, in terms of expansion where the guy is taken by two two different expansion yeah. drafts. Um, I guess it might have happened, but I'd have to go back and really look that one up. Hey, you know what? If they leave him exposed – well, first off, I, I really do believe – I believe Jake Allen is going to become a Seattle Kraken. When I look at the goaltenders available, mm-hmm. right, if, if, if you come out – if you can get Flurry and Jake Allen, and now you've got you're spending a total of about eleven million dollars on your goaltending as an expansion team, you're in some really good shape. I mean that that's a heck of a tandem to have your for your, for your first year in the National Hockey League, and I and I think that that's a legit tandem they could end up with. All right, Kerbs, before we let you go, uh, I I believe you're taking Tampa. How many games? Uh, oh, listen, I don't. I, <laughs> I've actually, if, if I'm going to go to Vegas, I'm going to put a bet down on Montreal right okay, now. Okay, I like this. Okay, and because I think I'm going to get far more value on my bet than that. I, I Montreal has played well enough to not bet against them. I, I To me, it, it feels like a Tampa in six thing, but, I, it, but even though that's the case, I'd still put my money down on Montreal and see if I can get a bigger payout. And uh, Curbs pro tip, you don't have to go to Vegas. You can just head on over to Collinsville to the FanDuel <laughs> Sportsbook app and uh, get that all set up and just bet there. That's right. Promo yeah, code just, Smalls. Just sounded like I was a higher, you know, like some high roller going in with some velvet tracksuit. You know? <laughs> hey, always great to hear your voice, big man. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next Monday. All right, guys. Have an awesome week. Take care. Thanks, Curbs. That's your voice of the St. Louis Blues. On 101 ESPN. That's right. Why go to Vegas when you can just stick here locally or do it from the comfort of your home on your phone? By the way, I'm looking here. We are off next Monday, Michelle, because it is the 5th of July. Really? Yep. Awesome. So we aren't talking to Kerbs next Monday. Maybe next Tuesday. Yeah, hopefully. We, we've got to get our weekly conversation with Kerbs in. We have to do it, so we will. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy, some headlines coming out of the NBA. So the Portland Trailblazers have found their new head coach. They reached an agreement with Chauncey Billups on a 4-1 deal to be the franchise's next head coach. Four years guaranteed a term option on the fifth year. Obviously a great media guy from his work at ESPN, a champion, as we saw with Detroit. And the general manager of the Blazers says that Billups is one of the best leaders he's ever been around. And he's a guy that Damian Lillard said, yeah, okay, I I want him as my head coach. So when you have your best player saying he wants a guy, you go get the guy. And so a good move by Portland. And now they just have to build around Lillard. Well, Randy, that's not exactly what happened. You're killing Smalls. I'll just go ahead and do it. So Damian Lillard not pleased. We're seeing kind of a a repeat situation of the Deshaun Watson scenario. No, not the massages. Oh, okay. But remember when Deshaun Watson wanted to be involved in the Texans head coaching hire and it didn't necessarily go down that way? Same thing with Damian Lillard. So he's stayed really loyal to Portland for a long time, in part because of the great fan base there. And a lot of people wondered how long that might last if he can't have success there. But he played no part in picking Chauncey Billups as the head coach. It was fully done by their basketball operations crew. And none of the candidates who were interviewed 
were suggestions from da- suggestions, excuse me, from Damian Lillard, and a lot of people wondering if this is enough to push him out of Portland. Wow, interesting, because the reports have been that he was completely on board with Billups. So for him to not be on board with Billups is pretty telling. I wonder who he, if they would have asked him, who do you want as your head coach? I wonder who he would have chosen. I wonder, but that list has not been made public yet, or at least that I've seen. But people are saying he is not happy with this and that they think that this hire is enough to get him out the door, according to many reports, including Yahoo Sports. Wow. Because I think it was Woj that said that uh, Lillard liked him, but obviously, if he didn't have anything to do with it, maybe he just wants to have a little more control like the other top players in the NBA. Or maybe, Randy, he ju- just actually does want out, and this is his avenue to That's get out. That's not a bad idea. Where where would you like to see him play? Let's just play like fantasy GM for a second. If you could put Damian Lillard on any team, whether it's realistic or not, where would you like to see him play? He would be a good fit with the Lakers. I agree. I would love to see him there. They I need think a that shooter. Would, that would be so fun. Yeah. If you're Portland in the same division, it's not going to happen. Do you do that? But I would love it. But LeBron as the GM, we know LeBron is always mm-hmm. kind of behind the scenes, puppeteering everything that goes on, and he knows his window to win is shrinking. And I would think that he might be trying to figure something out on how to maneuver something. Don't know if it's possible. Don't think it's possible. Well, but that's the ideal landing spot in thing. my mind. The Lakers gave up so much to get AD in terms mm-hmm. of young players and assets. They really don't have an awful lot to give up. Either. Exactly. You're killing me, Smalls. Another head coaching situation in the NBA, Randy. Penny Hardaway has emerged as a serious candidate to become the next head coach of the Magic. Now, we know that he was with the team, star there from 93 to 99. He's currently the head coach at Memphis, which is his alma mater. And he hasn't had an overwhelming amount of success at Memphis. So a lot of people are kind of wondering if he's the right guy to take over the Magic, even though he does have that tie there. But he's emerged as a serious candidate. Well, we know that he knows how to coach a young team because he coached a college team and that's what he'll have in Orlando. He does have the name recognition having played with Shaq there and I'm intrigued. I I don't know that the Magic are going to do any better. They just fired Steve Clifford who's actually a pretty good coach but they don't have any players. That's the one thing. If I'm Penny, at least at Memphis I can get players. In Orlando there's no guarantee that I'm going to have players unless he's doing it for the money. Or you always think that you can be the guy to turn it around, right? Yeah. Most most people in that position have so much confidence in themselves and in their abilities that they always think I can be the one to make it different. Right. And you also have to factor in what happened a couple of years ago in his first year at Memphis. James Wiseman is his first big recruit. And the NCAA says, oh, nope, you can't have that guy. That is one thing that doesn't happen in the NBA. Maybe he's just bothered by the NCAA rules, too. I just figured that he would have some success at Memphis before he moved on. But I think it's an interesting move on both parts. You're killing me, Smalls. And finally, Randy, we talked a lot about USA Gymnastics and the Olympic trials last night. And we haven't necessarily even talked about the women who advanced and Mm -hmm. who are going to be representing uh, the USA in the Olympics in Tokyo. So Simone Biles on the team, obviously. We have Sunisa Lee, Jordan Childs, Grace McCallum, Jade Carey, who qualified earlier, and Michaela Skinner. And then the alternates are Kayla DiCello, Kara Eaker, and uh, Leanne Wong, and Emma Malbayo. 
well. So congratulations to all the women. It was so amazing to see them perform last night here in St. Louis. And I think so many people in St. Louis who were there last night who are, who, and who watched the event and knew that it happened here are going to be paying extra special attention to the women in Tokyo this summer. And if the top five stay healthy, they're a prohibitive favorite to win the gold in Tokyo. So good for them. And uh, yeah, that'll be a fun team. That'll be a good team to watch. It will. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with Danny Mac, the Danny Mac Show with BK. Coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Danny Mac Show with BK coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. Down the stretch with Carriker and Smallman. Danny Mac, good to have you here in the studio. How you doing? I'm doing great. I enjoyed your visit with the Reverend Isaac Bruce. That was great. He is awesome. And he is awesome. We, I love that guy, he's man. A, he's the best. He is. We, we asked the question afterwards, what Cardinal or what St. Louis athlete deserves to be in the Hall of Fame that isn't? Top for, of the list for football or just any seen? any athlete. Ooh, so a, you've got that's a good question. You've, you've, that's a great question. You you've got a lot of them too. A so I, I'm options. assuming he probably went Tory Holt right away. I, I didn't listen to all of we it. We didn't but... ask him. We we went. Oh, uh, okay, we had a segment about it. Okay, but I chose Tory. Michelle's yeah. first was Tory, and I said Ken Boyer. I agree with Kenny Boyer, the captain. He deserves it. If Ron Sano is in for the Cubs, then I got to take a hard look at. At that era, too. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're comparing one era to it. I mean, they're the same era, basically. So I'm going Kenny Boyer. I like that one. Um, I, I hope that they go back and look at Jimmy Edmonds. Yep. I think that's a a, a, a Veterans Committee look at uh, eight gold gloves, defensive metrics, close to 400 home runs, championship. You got to gotta give him a look. Um I gotta wonder. Roland will get in, right? Uh, yeah, Scott Roland's in. So the trajectory for him has him in next year or the year after. I, I don't think that's. I don't think there's any doubt he gets in. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Um, Larry Walker is in now. Here's the mm. other names I had. I had London Fletcher. Longevity, man. Mm-hmm. Good teams yep. and play. He was and more productive player. than other Hall of Famers. Yeah, I have Big Walt. That's in. Yep, I was going to start thinking hockey guys. Definitely, Walt was going to be on my list. Uh, And then we had uh, Jim Hart. I don't know about Jim. I don't know enough about the. I need to look at the numbers. I loved him. He's a great player. I just need to look at the numbers. Jimmy in apples to apples. When he retired, he was third all time in the league history in passing yards. That's right. I do remember that. Sixth all time in touchdowns. So different era comparison. Yeah, in the era, that's awfully good. Yeah. Yeah, where you've, now you've got such a passing league where before it was a different league and you consider him on some bad teams and doing yep. what he did, yep. sure. And now he's even still 32nd. He, grad, he retired in 84 and he's still 32nd in league history in yards passing. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't realize he was still top 35. I would have, I figured top 50, but not that high. Yeah, so he's another one. A, yeah. lot, of, a lot of people texted in Chris Carpenter that they, they know that the numbers might not be there. They obviously injuries that impacted his career, but he's got the hardware, Cy Young, all-star, two-time champion. And somebody texted in a good point. As far as big game pitchers go, he's on your short list, right? In Cardinal history, he is the the second best, in my opinion. And I mean, even going back to like the night, I've done the research on like the 1940s, and mm-hmm. they won three different times in the 40s. Uh, 
be a good guest would be to get Brian Finch on the team historian. He he knows those numbers off the top of his head. Um, but to me, Car- it's Bob Gibson than then Chris Carpenter. Now it's different where, where Bob Gibson and the others, you know, you win coming out of the regular season and you go to the world series, it, like, you know, like you had it back in the mm-hmm. day. And now you had to go through a division series. Then you're in the championship series and then you're in the world series. So he pitched in a lot of those big games, but game five against the Phillies comes to mind, winning in uh, 06, winning in 11. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but I think he's just an unbelievable Cardinal and a great career. I do wonder, with the longevity of Adam Wainwright, where we're at with him. As he continues to go on, and I made this point two years ago and people thought I was out of my mind, and I said, hey, I- I'm just saying if he continues – and we have a 2020 season, which we had 60 games. And if he competes in 21, and obviously he's competing in 21 and, and competing at a high level, as you guys – I mean, I, I'm curious what you guys think. As I watch him now, there would be no reason I would think that he wouldn't compete and play next year. Right. I, I don't think. I can't I think it's imagine up to him it wouldn't be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there would be teams if, – if the season ended right now, and God forbid something happened, and they said, "Okay, we're coming back now in uh, 22," and he's a free agent to be. They're not just the Cardinals, but I think there's other teams that would say, "Sure, we'll we'll take a veteran like that. He helps us." I mean, mm-hmm. p- there's teams that need pitching, and and he's been very good, and he's starting to get to those levels of, you know, right around 200 wins. You know, it, it just you got to look at the pitcher now. It, the 300 win guy is is gone. Yep. So you got to look at uh, the other variables that are part of this, and I don't think he's going to get the consideration that he needs to, and, and we probably look at it through red-colored glasses, which I understand, and we see him every fifth day, and he's been a great Cardinal. But having said all that, I, I do wonder if he's going to get some consideration. I would think that he would need to get to 200 wins, even though the I think win so. is not valuable I, I'm anymore. with you. I think he's got to get to 200. Yeah. Gets to 200, then we're talking. And he's... 27 away? Does he have 173? I think he might have 173. I'd have to look. Uh, so it'd be hard. But, it'd be very hard for him. I mean, yeah. when I made that statement a couple of years ago, I mean, I was banking on him him being healthy and playing three to four more years. Well, yeah. he's about halfway home. Yeah. Crazy so, to think of that. Yeah. So the Diamondbacks are in town. The yes, Diamondbacks sir. did beat. They ended their road losing streak the other night by beating the Padres. So that's a good thing. Because if you lose to them, you won't. How, how do you say the word I G N O I M Y? Ignominy? Ignominy? I don't know. But it, it would. I'd have to define it first. Well, an ignominious feat yeah. is something oh. that you don't want anything to do with. Well, the Pirates came in having lost 11 straight yeah. on the road. So that's an ignominious thing that happened to the Cardinals. Not a great weekend. Uh, dropped three of four. Offensively, they hit. I think it was like 175, 180 over the weekend. Not a lot of extra base hits. Um, Oviedo, what do you do with Johan now after the start yesterday? Um, but you're limited because there's not there's not somebody in the minor leagues right now you'd say, go get him. I mean, even no. Libertor. I, I think the only you know? logical player to plug in there is Woodford. And I'm with you, and I, I think the club was leaning towards trying to stretch him out, but he hasn't taken the ball and run with it. No. You know, when he's gotten those chances last two or three times, hasn't pitched well. Right. You know, so are you better off? And, and 
Here's where I'm at with Oviedo. I don't want him to get buried. And we talked about this on the game yesterday. I think it's now 14 starts in the major leagues. He hasn't won a game. And that could have gotten out of control early in the first inning with four walks. And, man, I, I... He's got really good stuff, and I just don't want to see him mentally get buried to where you get to that point where his physical abilities don't come out because he's mentally he's not there. Do you and remember there's a couple just, of guys that come to you mind. You walk that fine line with those guys. Yeah. Yeah. One one local guy, and he was mentally tough, and he, he dealt with it, but Jose De Leon, yeah. great stuff, and just with Pittsburgh could not win a game, and the Cardinals wound up getting him from the White Sox for Ricky Horton. That's right. And the other one, do you remember Anthony Young? Oh, yeah. With the Mets and Cubs. What was it, 19 or 21, uh, 22? He was in the 20s. I think it was 21. It was the all-time record, I think. Yeah, 21 or 22 consecutive. Yeah, Um, without a win. And, and you know, Oviedo, and here's the thing, though. Anthony Young was a guy, if memory serves correct, correct me if I'm wrong, that wasn't to start a career. I mean, he had won some games. Correct. So, I mean, we're talking about starting a major league career, and that's would be that would be my concern is that he's a young, talented kid, and, and you love him, but you just don't want him to get buried mentally and go, man, can I can I compete here? Can I can I do this? And it's just human nature. If you haven't won and you don't have success, you get buried. And mm-hmm. you, from the Cardinals' perspective, you don't want that to happen to him. Yeah. Period. Young lost twenty seven in a row. Was it twenty seven? Wow. Yeah. How about that? Wow. Longest in MLB history. It broke the mark of 23 set That's in 1910 was. 23 was the record by yeah. Cliff Curtis. Yeah. So so they're, they're at a crossroads. I mean, it's been a terrible month. There's no other way to put it. Um, offensively, <laughs> pitching-wise, everything. It, it's just been a, a terrible month, historically bad month, because yeah. you look at where they're at numbers-wise, and I was talking about the numbers the other day, they're bottom five now all-time in the month of June for this organization in over 100 years of baseball. So it's just, you know, when usually you have like, oh, man, the pitching's gone terrible, but we're scoring some runs, so you win some games. Or the other way, this has been both. And when both happen like this, you don't win games, and that's what's happening right now. And Dan, the old Yogi Berra line comes into play here. It gets late early. They reach the midpoint of the season on Wednesday. If the Brewers just play 500 ball the rest of the way, 42 and 42, the Cardinals would have to go 50 and 34 to tie them. Mm. And it's going to be tough to do. And it's I can't imagine that the Brewers are going to be much worse than 500 either. No, they played 500 the whole way. Yeah. I would think the Cubs will be 500 yep. or roughly around there up and down the whole way. And that's the... Uh, the odd thing about this this Cardinals team is that they showed what was the the high point was what seven or eight games above mm-hmm. five hundred. What are they now? Four, five below. Under, yeah, yeah. And uh, you were there, and and all of a sudden it just went south, and it went in a hurry. So I got to think if I'm running the organization, I, I'm saying, look, I, I can't let this thing spiral completely out of control, and I've got to get a hold of this, and I can't keep doing the same thing either. You know, I'm. I, we have the the players that we have. We, we what do we do? You know, I mean, and, and I don't know. I don't have the answers. Do we? Does Oviedo go down? We bring a guy up. Does John Gant go to the bullpen? Okay, we can do that. We got Wade LeBlanc going tonight. He throws strikes. We need strikes. Uh, we've tried changing up the line. I mean, there's a ton of things. You know, do we get more aggressive when we get guys on? If and when that happens, I mean, all those things are being yeah. talked about right now. And you don't really have a lot of help coming from the minor leagues, so they're really stuck. And this is a a tough, tough time for the organization. That's just the way it is. What do we got coming up on the Danny Mac show? Uh, Mark Reynolds, former Cardinal and Diamondback. 
Great power hitter, and uh, we'll visit with him. Also spend some time with the Rockies. He, he was bouncing all over the place, but good guy and uh, uh, had a couple of uh, good seasons here in St. Louis, so we'll visit with him. One of the great fun things that ever happened, I think it was holiday. Remember when they put the tape outline on the wall? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. It was great. By the way, Goldie hit a Mark Reynolds-type home run this weekend. Oh, yeah, he that sure was did. One, so I'll take that as a bright spot. Big time. Um, that was awesome. Did Nolan Arnado catch too? Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, that um, was good. Trying to think of some other things. Large Newt Bar. There you go. Newt. You know what I'm seeing out of Large Newt Bar, and I and I'll bring this up with BK, but he's a guy that's taking some at bats that's different than the major league club, mm-hmm. and he has got a little spark and a little jump to him. This club yeah. is flat really flat right now. And part of that is not hitting, part of that is losing, but when I watch him play, you know, and that's your young wow. guy that you just brought up and he should have energy. I get it, but man, it's flat right now. Damn, when you're seeing a pitcher for the first time, don't you want to get a look at him a little bit? A little bit and, you know, this is a guy that and that would be concerning to me too is that Memphis just saw him what was it last week and knocked him out after 5 innings and got 5 earned against him. Yep. And your major league club was a perfect game all going into the seventh, and he had five of the perfect innings. So, Five of the problem. perfect innings and threw 50 pitches. Yeah. He was efficient, and the at-bats were not good. They were not. All right. Looking forward to the show. Good to talk to you, sir. All right. Let's be positive tomorrow. Let's hope. Oh, come on. I just gave you three positive things. You did. You did. I gave you three positive things. Tomorrow. And the Yachty Tumbler. Did you get one of those? I didn't. I gave mine to Jimmy. Jimmy had them all. I'm positive. You got your Giants uh, spring training shirt Who's on? Who's got the best record in the National League? I just go with them. I'm a bandwagon jumper. That's all right. You can't, uh, you shouldn't jump just yet. Let's get to the All-Star break first. Okay. Thank you. It's we close. wrap up the, this will be the final homestand before the break, and then the Cardinals go to Colorado, to your Giants, and then to Wrigley Field. And then we have a break. <laughs> Well deserved. Great job, by our producer. Break, <laughs> Great job by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle, this was fun. It was. See you tomorrow. Happy Monday, everyone. Thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.